Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is episode number 53 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings, and we are in chapter 10. We just have arrived at chapter 10. I achieved my goal of finishing chapter 9 last time by dint of cheating, uh, namely just by like <laughs> protracting the class until I was done, which I suppose is one way uh, to finish it. But anyhow... Um, so tonight we're going to uh, focus in on yet another action-packed scene of people talking to each other, uh, which actually I, I actually really love uh, this scene, and I've been really looking forward to the exploring the Lord of the Rings treatment of this scene because I think it's especially after we kind of got a taste of it uh, in looking at the conversation between Frodo and Strider, both before and after his uh, his singing. Because it's really fun to think about this scene from at least two different perspectives, right? To try to to kind of put yourself imaginatively into Frodo's place when you're hearing Strider and looking at what Frodo is saying. and But then also, the thing which I know I have done much less often when reading the text, uh, to really put yourself into Strider's position and try to think, uh, how it looks for him. Um, so yeah, I see several of you concerned about uh, snow. Of course, we've got an, another, it's March, so we've got like another week, another snowstorm. At least that's how it's been up here in New England. Um, I actually should be okay, I think. Now, having said that, we'll probably get hammered, but um, it, it looks like it might stop a little south of me, like Boston might get might get uh, pounded, but uh, it might not come so far as up in New Hampshire here. But it's pretty clear that the weather people don't really have any idea what's going to happen. But whatever is going to happen, it will probably happen later in the night, and it'll be tomorrow anyway. So we're, we're, we should be good tonight. Um, so I'm not expecting any sudden power lossages or anything like that. So hopefully all will be, all will be well. Um, all right. So, uh, so, of course, JJ, you're absolutely right. That is always how we finish Mythgard book discussions with like a three or four hour session on the last day when I'm too stubborn to, uh, to, to pull it over to another week. Exactly. Um, anyway, okay, so we'll see what happens. One really quick announcement before I start tonight. Just, just a reminder for everybody, because we're getting close to it now. London Moot is coming. We're only like 40 days away from London Moot, just a little over a month. Uh, so again, anybody who is in, uh, who is in the area, uh, can't wait to get over there. So excited. I haven't been over to, I think the last time I was, I was in England was 2012. I think it was 2012. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm really excited for uh, uh, for getting over there. My book had just was like just being released, or just about to be released, I think, as I recall, when I was last over there a long time ago. So, anyhow, all right. So let's um, uh, so let's let's get moving. Um, let's see. Are you are you guys getting me okay on Discord? I can uh, I can check that if you like. Make sure my settings are. Make setting. Make sure my settings are proper. The, so wait. The, those of you who are saying yes, are you saying yes? The sound is okay, or yes, it's not okay. <laughs> okay, all right, good. Just want to make sure. <laughs> make sure what I say. Okay, good, excellent. All right. So, uh, before we begin, one question I wanted to field from our discussion board. 
uh, for this week. Really interesting question about Tolkien and aristocracy. This from uh, from Steve, our intrepid composer. Um, and Steve says, in considering Frodo's actions around the singing of the song and Strider's questioning of him following that, I'm wondering about the sense we get about Hobbit gentry. From the beginning, Sam seems to be the only one who has much common sense. The aristocrats, Merry Pippin and Frodo, all must be taught to be wary through experience, whereas Sam has sort of an innate nobility to him, as well as being suspicious of everyone, even to the point of pretending to sleep as Frodo talks with the elves in Woodall. My own tendency as an American who has grown up with the pervasive anti-aristocratic rhetoric of the U.S. in his ears is to see these foppish hobbits as stand-ins for the foolishness of, foolishness of aristocrats in general. Um, great, yeah, and you know, so Steve was that. You know, there was there was there was more to Steve's comment about. You know some of the some of the satires and things that you can get. Uh, you know in British British literature, for instance, about like totally underqualified aristocrats jumped up into important positions of leadership um, just because they're aristocrats, right? And, and the kind of disastrous consequences that that often has, and that's all totally true, right? It's all totally true, uh, and there certainly is sort of that thread of, of, of criticism. And I, I know, as Steve says, I certainly feel it as well as an American, that that kind of critique is sort of especially congenial to the American perspective, right? Uh, because that's kind of how we're taught to think of the whole concept of aristocracy, really. Um, but, um, but here's my quick thought about Tolkien. And so first of all, on the one hand, yes, I do agree with Steve's observation that there is definitely a sense in which Sam is sort of readier for this whole journey and everything that happens here than the others, right? And and it may possibly be, uh, in a sense, because he's sort of less pampered, you know, less spoiled. He's he's readier to, uh, to 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 sort of rough it. He he doesn't take as much for granted. I can see that. I mean, I, I can sort of imagine that stuff operating. But here's the thing. I think that more important than... So, like, when, when, when the hobbits are doing such a bad... I mean, we've been, we've been talking about what a pronouncedly terrible job Frodo and the rest are doing in, you know, uh, the whole laying low, being on the run, keeping a low profile kind of thing. Like, they're really bad at being refugees, um, and they, they're, they're clearly pretty clueless when it comes to that. So my question is, like, wherein, like, does the criticism lie? Or, or sort of what is being, what is being, I don't want to say mocked, that's a little too strong a term. I don't feel like they're being mocked exactly. But, you know, what's the, what's the issue? And my response there is that the issue is less that, it's less an aristocracy thing, I think, than it's just a hobbit thing. And I go back, you know, Steve, to the conversation with Gildor there, actually, right? In that sense of trying to shut the outside world out. And, you know, that all three of them, Frodo and Merry and Pippin, they're different. They're not the kind of hobbits that we saw, like the kind of hobbits who, who whose respect Bilbo was at risk of losing, right, after he went on his adventure, right? They're not like your... your these are not your father's bagginses, right? These are not the, the, this, you know, the, the, they're clearly, there's a different sort of culture there, which is open to the outside world and which is ready for adventure. Um, 
and so therefore seems kind of more worldly, less sheltered than the point of view which sort of deems anything outlandish and strange as um, so interesting when you think about it in that way, the sort of culture that Sam comes from, uh, certainly the gaffer, is a representative of that older generation to some extent, though he's of course been changed through his relationship with Bilbo too in his, in his, in his own ways. But anyway, I don't want to get into that in too much detail, but the point is although they seem more worldly, they're more ready for adventure and all these other things, at the end of the day, they're still hobbits. They're still sheltered. Um, they're still clueless about the outside world. And although they've heard stories about adventure and they're theoretically down with the concept of dangerous quests and leaving at dawn and all those other things, but it's just poetry. Remember that line from Pippin? I come back to that again, right? Oh, that was poetry, right? And to some extent, I think you could almost like substitute that remark in on on many occasions right oh that was poetry like, you know yes we're we're like we will we will face danger but when we're actually facing danger it's like hey wait this is not like a song and they don't really know what to do and they're they're um they're they're caught unprepared so it seems to me more a we're blundering fairly clueless hobbit thing than it is an aristocrat thing exactly um but, um, yeah, and Matt, I, I do agree, a weakness of Sam is his provincialism. That's true. Now, he doesn't share, you know, we don't see him necessarily, you know, looking askance at people just because they come from somewhere else, you know. But, I mean, I think he's kind of just better at keeping that inside, actually. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I, I think that... Um, one way and another, all of the hobbits are kind of in the same boat, right? Um, and if anything, if we see the three sort of upper-class hobbits, even Frodo, by the way, is like not totally... I wouldn't necessarily call him an aristocrat, but, but I mean, it's near enough as, as, as no difference. Um, but anyway, um, I mean, he's not one of the like major landed family. Like, he's, like the Tooks and Brandybucks. I know that he's he's more than half a Brandybuck, as Gaffer Gamgee says. But um, uh, but anyway, um, he, all three of them are the focal point of the sort of cluelessness, right? The cluelessness that breaks out now and again, uh, just because they they take the lead, right? Sam is not the one who is going to initiate any action in the common room of the Prancing Pony, for instance, right? It's, it's Pippin who's going to be speaking out and be at the center of, 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 of listeners and telling stories from the Shire. Sam's not going to put himself forward like that. And it's Frodo, of course, who's going to take it on himself to try to distract the attention away from Pippin. Sam wouldn't do that, right? So I, I kind of think that that's why they end up looking more clueless than Sam does, just because he doesn't he doesn't. He doesn't go there. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't do that exactly. Um, and uh, now, but broadening out a little bit, Steve, to consider more broadly your question about aristocracy, or, or you know, sort of the general point about aristocracy. I don't, Steve. I guess the way that I would put the question is: Do I see evidence in Tolkien's work? that he sort of is critical of the concept 
of aristocracy, right? Because, Steve, that seemed to be the point that you were really getting at, right? This idea that some people are being sort of jumped up and put in positions of authority, not because they're qualified, not because they deserve it, not because they have the character uh, to merit it, um, but just because of who they are, right? Just because of, of the fact that they're rich or because of the fact that they're influential, you know, because who their family is. Um, so that's... that. And that's what it means. I, I mean, I would say that's what it means to be critical of the concept of aristocracy. Um, I don't see Tolkien act, um, being that way. I mean, do people who are, like, aristocratic leaders act badly? Yeah, sure, they act badly. Absolutely, they act badly sometimes. But, but I don't think in the ways that they're acting badly... We see. I don't think we can see in that a criticism of the concept of aristocracy itself. Rather, it's how those people comport themselves in their positions. If anything, I think it's sort of the other way around. I think within uh, Tolkien's world, what we see more often is the concept of here is like the idea of what aristocracy is meant to be, right? Because we do get the concept that people who are born to be leaders tend to have the wherewithal to be leaders. Again, that classic element, Steve, that you yourself were pointing to, that, like, this person is put in charge, is put into a position of authority just because of who they happen to be born to be, but actually this person is a complete git, and putting them in charge of anything would be a complete disaster, and so you put them in front of an army, or you put them at the head of a government, and you're putting everybody, you know, on the, the like, straight path to catastrophe. That's the criticism of aristocracy, right? Can you think of one example? I can't think of a single example in Tolkien where we see that operating that way. Again, we see some people making bad choices, right? We see, you know, Turin leading people astray. We see Feanor making catastrophically bad decisions. But again, it's not that, they, like, take Feanor, right? Feanor is a bad leader, but he's not an unqualified leader at all, right? The problem with Feanor is not that he's like some jumped-up git who, you know, is the son of the king, and so therefore when the king dies, he takes command, but, like, he's like, should not be in command. He totally should be in command. He should just be doing a better job, right? There's nobody more qualified than Feanor. He has all of the natural gifts, literally every single one of the natural gifts that he could possibly have, right? So, far from sort of undermining the concept of, you know, sort of the, the, the uh, appropriateness, the sort of the highness of, of aristocratic birth, Fanor is like the embodiment of it. He's like the perfect aristocrat. Who then mucks it up, right? Who makes terrible, terrible decisions and is therefore, you know, becomes an example of how somebody with everything, right, who can do anything he wants to do, that, you know, the high fall really low and often make really, really disastrous, uh, disastrous decisions. And Tony, I agree that some of the kings of Gondor are pretty useless. Absolutely. But again, that's leaders making bad choices, and many of them do, and some of them are useless, right? That's going to happen. Um, Tolkien is not, again, it's not, his, it's not like his world is as simplistic as a lot of his critics want to make it sound, like where every king is a good and noble king. No, every king isn't a good and noble king, right? Some of them are bad, but it's it doesn't undermine 
the system, right? There's nowhere where anybody's like, maybe we shouldn't, you know, this whole aristocracy thing is just not, this is all farce, right? It's never made a farce of. Individual people make wrong choices. If anything, it seems to me that, um, that Tolkien's imagination, like the imagined world, um, it's, it's one which actually really upholds the principle or that, no, not the principles of aristocracy, because it's not a political thing. It is the mythic element of aristocracy. And the concept of aristocracy, this is something that Americans have a hard time with. Um, but I do think, I have become convinced that there is a mythic significance to the concept of, arist- of aristocracy. Um, again, it's, it doesn't pan out in the real world much of the time, perhaps, right? But there still is a concept there. Um, you know, one of the um, um, one of the, the the things that really convinced me most about this actually has been G.K. Chesterton, uh, who argues in favor of the British aristocracy. Uh, there's nobody who's like a, a more you know died in the wool you know populist Democrat than uh, than uh, G.K. Chesterton. Um, but uh, but he likes the British aristocracy, and the reason he likes the British aristocracy is because it it brings like the mythic concept uh, of like you know respect and heroism and the, without with like none of the reality of it. Anyway, yeah, it's a classic sort of Chestertonian uh, uh, argument. But um, but anyway, I, I, you know he's helped me kind of see what the point is, like what the value of it is in a sense. Um, but. Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, Matt was just asking, is there any evidence of a democracy in Middle-earth? Lake Town is not a democracy. Lake Town is an oligarchy run by the wealthy. Um, it's not a, it's not a, um, they don't, you don't run for master of Lake Town. They choose the masters from among the the the, the prominent people of the town. Um, the Shire is not a democracy. The Shire is an anarchy. Um, yes, they elect a mayor, but he has no powers. Um, so, I mean, fundamentally, the Shire, the the government of the Shire is anarchical. It's not. There's not a. Um, uh, there isn't. Um, any government, central government at all, um, elected or otherwise. Um, they have the traditional Thane, who's kind of a figurehead, and they have the mayor, who's a different kind of figurehead. Um, but the whole point of Shire governance is that they don't have any governance. So yeah, so no, the Shire isn't a democracy, it's, it's an anarchy. Uh, democracy still implies that there is like political power uh, in the hands of the people. There's no political power in the hands of the people. Farmer Cotton has no power over what happens, in, has no power or influence, even a voting influence, over what happens in Buckland or in the North Farthing. Or something like that, right? That would be democracy. If you had a voice in deciding what happens, and it's not a democracy. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
No, Lincoln, a democracy and an anarchy is not the same at all. Anarchy means no... Democracy is a form of government. Anarchy is the absence of government. That's what the Shire has. And that's a really important thing. And that was, I mean, in as much as Tolkien is making a a political statement relevant to, like, modern 20th century politics, you know, the early 20th century politics of his kind, that, I think, was it. Uh, It was pro-anarchy, like, leave the people be. Stop, like, don't get out of people's business uh, would have been his primary thing. And there's a great letter where he talks about this, his support of anarchy, um, by which he means not whiskered men with bombs, but just people being left to like carry on on their own. Um, so, um, so yeah, yeah. But see, Bruinier, I mean, I don't know. I, people want to, sometimes people want to talk about um, uh, libertarianism. <sighs> I don't even understand libertarianism well enough to know if it qualifies, but, uh, um, but whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, see JJ Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses in a democracy, (laughs) right? Uh, uh, even, even if you are an, anarcho-syndicalist commune, uh, you know, you, you still, it, you, there's still the voting power of the people, right? Um, but think about, and just ask yourself, in the Shire, would anyone ever, like, ratify the decisions of an officer at a special bi-weekly meeting? No, it doesn't happen, right? That's just not how the Shire functions. Um, but, um, yeah, no, Republic, that's different, too. Republic is different. Republic is elected officials, Right, so we don't have any elected officials um, who are who are then running things. Again, you have to have a government if you, to be a Republican form of government or a democracy. You have to have a government, and the Shire's got none. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, well, okay. So Mad Mad Violinist is asking about the. Um, you know, the families holding sway in their own lands. Um, the Tooks hold sway in their land. Over Tooks, yeah, because Tooks live in their land. But again, like, I, there's not much evidence that, um, you know, Pippin's dad could make a decree which would have to be obeyed by the boffin who lives down the road, right? I mean, if there are any non-tooks who live there, can can he, can can uh, can the thane, um, you know, can paladin took, you know, issue a decree and make him do something he doesn't want to do? I don't think so. He has authority of, like, the other tooks acknowledge his authority. We do see an authority structure within families, right? The master of Buckland, who is master over the Brandy Bucks. And as they're the ones who live over in Buckland, he is de facto the ruler of Buckland. Um, But it's a family matter. It's a question of the hobbits hobbits of a particular family, um, uh, you know, submitting to the decrees of their family head. And that's a formalized thing, being being the Took or the Brandybuck or the Baggins. Um, and Tolkien, uh, this, uh, Tolkien talks about this somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it is. Um, but um, uh, anyway, it's um, uh, so, but again, e- even that 
presumably is voluntary. But again, that's a family thing. It's not a political thing. Um, uh, no, there is not a sheriff. There is not a sheriff of the Shire. There are sheriffs, right? Um, there are sheriffs, but they are not a sheriff. There is a, a sheriff suggests a person who is like an executive arm, so like a head policeman uh, who is either elected or appointed, who and has authority over a region. That is absolutely not. Uh, when Lotho starts acting that way, it is an explicit and an egregious violation of both Hobbit law and practice. Um, uh, well, see, no, there wasn't a chief sheriff until Lotho called... Lotho invented that. There were sheriffs. He, in, he called... He started calling himself chief sheriff. That's how he comes to be called the chief. But the whole point is that it did not, it, it did not happen like that at all. Um, anyway, uh, I can see this is a, a subject that lots of people are interested to talk about, and we're getting kind of far afield. Um, to get briefly back to aristocracy, though... I think that we see in Tolkien not necessarily an idealized concept of aristocracy exactly. That it's not in the sense of him being a big proponent of aristocracy as a modern political system and idealizing it within his world, but rather I think that part of the 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 mythic element of aristocracy, the idea of like he is descended from the kings of old. The idea of the blood of Numenor runs nearly true in Faramir, right? And therefore, he is great. He is greater than other people. He's just, he's not the same. It is not, in that non-political sense, a democratic world. It is not a level playing field in Tolkien's world at all, right? Um, Americans fantasize about worlds in which everybody is in which I'm as good as you, right? In which everybody is the same. That is not a part of... That is, that is, I think, Tolkien's world is strongly against that kind of a concept um, of the world. There are heroes. There are people who are greater. There are people who are bigger. There are people who are better. Um, and they tend to be uh, uh, lords and kings and nobles and, you know, people who have position. And of course, this is part of the medieval concept, right? One of the great medieval uh, sort of debates was about nobles, right? Um, uh, are they, are you know, like which comes first? Like in theory, the whole point, like how arist- how aristocrats came to be aristocrats, is that these were like great and noble people who were accepted as leaders by pe- by the by the common people because they saw that they were like really good virtuous people, right? And so they trusted them uh, and uh, and took them as leaders, and so their descendants, uh, hopefully, you know, take after them uh, and carry on the tradition of the nobility of their ancestors. Um, it's not the position that makes the person noble. It's the nobility of the person that got them their position in the first place. But that that, that was a discussion that you see going on in a lot of uh, medieval works. Um, you can see, I think, that same that same kind of co- that 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 I was about to say coincidence, not in the modern sense, but the the coinciding of uh, great virtue, great power. Um, great sort of stature in various ways, often physically taller, um, but of course a a, a sort of spiritual stature as well. Um, We can see that, I think, in a lot of people who have this sort of um, birth position, right? Um, Yeah. 
yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. And of course, the medieval people were well aware of the fact that the virtue of the ancestors generally didn't uh, get passed down to the people afterwards, which is why people complained about the nobles uh, very often. Usually the, this debate came up when people were complaining about nobles. Um, but anyway, all right, let's... Um, um, let's let's move on but but again my my overall conclusion is i do not think i do not see i can't think of a single example in tolkien's work where i feel it is safe to draw the conclusion that he is criticizing the concept or satirizing the concept of aristocracy Often, people in positions of power and authority make bad decisions. That happens a lot. But that's totally different from saying, we're, I'm, I'm critical of the entire idea of an inherited rulership or inherited aristocracy. Um, anyway, okay. Let's move on. Let's, let's talk about chapter 10. Okay. First... I love how the hobbits passed their first test. <laughs> Watch every shadow. Um, uh, it was one of the very first things that Strider says to Frodo, right? Frodo, Pippin, and Sam made their way back to the parlor. There was no light. Mary was not there, and the fire had burned low. It was not until they had puffed up the embers into a blaze and thrown a couple of faggots, thrown on a couple of faggots, that they discovered Strider had come with them. There he was, calmly sitting in a chair by the door. Not real alert, right? Not exactly keeping their eyes peeled here. Hello, said Pippin. Who are you, and what do you want? I am called Strider, he answered. And though he may have forgotten it, your friend promised to have a quiet talk with me. You said I might hear something to my advantage, I believe, said Frodo. What have you to say? Okay. First of all, imagine yourself in Pippin's position, right? Uh, Frodo has at least had two conversations with the guy, right? And there has to be some kind of... Although he was sort of freaked out by the... Seems to have been kind of freaked out um, by the whole reference to, like, you put your finger in it and, uh, and his naming him by his real name and stuff. So Frodo was jumpy after talking to Strider. But even the whole, like, how he crawls over to him and, and, and is, takes off the ring right in front of him, right? There's, like, a kind of bond that they're already... Like, they sort of shared that moment. Um th- there's this sort of sense in which you know Strider is a little bit more familiar to Frodo. Pippin, did he even notice him? Has Pippin ever clapped eyes on on Strider? Did he did he even pay the first you know? So as far as from Pippin's perspective, here they are back in their parlor, right, hoping that they're going to be safe after what was to Pippin kind of confusing, but obviously you know sort of embarrassing and 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 troubling situation. They get back to their room, heaving sighs of relief, and he looks around, and there's this creepy, grungy dude, right. Um, who followed them and is sitting there smugly by the door waiting for them to notice him, right? Um, yeah, and, oh, Phil, great point. Um, another narratorial exclamation point. Yes, that's really good. We wanted to track those, right? There he was, calmly sitting in a chair by the door. Yes, good. Once again, we're getting that sort of personal tone or that... 
Yeah, I'll go with personal. Really, what I want is not impersonal, but that's just awkward, right? You know, this is not just impa- this is not just impassive description. Um, we're getting uh, some emotional cues from the from the narrator, right? Um, anyway, so here's Pippin, and I think Pippin's response is. Uh, fairly plucky under the circumstances, right? You know, he doesn't just scream and run or something like that. Because, I mean, Strider's got to look pretty scary. Um, now, of course, he's not looking threatening. In, like, his body language is not threatening. He's calmly sitting in a chair by the door. Um, but um, um, but still, yeah. So, Emma Thorne, it's, it, it's dark, right? Uh, they made their way back to the parlor. It was no light. Um it's not going to be terribly well lit anywhere in the Prancing Pony at night. Um, so the corridors are likely to be completely dark um, unless they're carrying their own candle or something. And then they get back to the room and the fire's almost all the way down. Um, so yeah, so Strider undoubtedly just walked quietly down the hallway right behind them, came in after they came in, uh, and you know they've been... Have, standing with their backs to the door, uh, 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 you know, uh, throwing logs on the fire, and you know he just lets himself in and sits down by the door. Um, yeah, yeah. Tillian says uh, he likes that uh, he's able to out hobbit the hobbits. Yeah, as far as uh, uh, walking softly is concerned, yeah, yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. So okay. So, Pippin is totally taken aback, right? Look at, um, look at Strider's response. I'm called Strider. Uh, notice he doesn't say that's his name, right? I'm called Strider. And though he may have forgotten it, your friend promised to have a quiet talk with me. Um, what I hear there is, um, uh, is Strider hinting that he suspects that Frodo was going to try to bunk off, right? That is to say, Frodo promised to have a quiet word with him, right? But I think he's thinking Frodo was hoping he could get out of it, right? That, you know, that maybe he's going to, maybe the, maybe the creepy guy in the common room, if we just go back to the parlor and keep to ourselves now, you know, maybe he won't follow up on it, right? Maybe he'll go away. Um, yeah, I think that he, uh, that they, though he may have forgotten it, it was like, two minutes ago, right? It was not very long. I don't think that Strider really suspects that Frodo has actually completely forgotten about it. Um, uh, I think that he is, again, sort of gently hinting like, I, you know, no, I didn't get invited back, but I'm kind of suspecting that Frodo wasn't planning to invite me, so I'm here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, Fort Thomas, I wonder, the I am called Strider, um, I think that, um, remember Butterbur says to Frodo, what his right name is I've never heard, but around here he's called Strider, right? I think that th- by saying I am called Strider, Strider seems to be acknowledging, like, this is what I am called here, like, he's not, he's not pretending that it's his real name. He's not making any effort to tell him what his real name is, right? He's almost drawing attention to the fact that he's not telling them what his real name is, right? 
Um, I am called Strider. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, JJ, I would assume that the, uh, the, the room has man-sized chairs and, and Strider is not teetering on a, a hobbit-sized chair. Um, yeah, I, I, we're told that Butterbur has some hobbit-oriented bedrooms for people to stay in, um, but I'd be a little bit surprised if he had a completely hobbit-furnished parlor as well. Um, they don't get many that many visitors uh, from the Shire, so I'd be a little surprised to hear about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, I'm Strider, and Strider means me. Yeah, Mike, that's exactly what he doesn't say, right? Uh, that's a that, that's a really interesting contrast, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think this is a private parlor attached to their rooms. I think this is a like a private dining chamber, um, private in the sense of it, it's not the it, he didn't just give them a table in the in the common room, right? Um, it's a separate dining room, but I, I, I don't think this is like an ensuite uh, setup here. This is a separate dining room that he has, and then he would have to take them down the hall to their bedrooms. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah. Um, okay, so Frodo, Frodo's response is fairly suave, right? You said I might hear something to my advantage, I believe, said Frodo. Oh, the worldly, the smooth and worldly wise one, right? I am uh, always interested in um, hearing things to my advantage from strangers whom I totally don't find creepy and of whom I am not afraid at all, right? Um, I think he's uh, he's sort of passing it off, trying to collect himself a little bit here. What have you to say? The what have you to say, I'm reading, get on with it so I can get rid of you sooner rather than later, right? Um, uh, that's definitely what I'm, what I'm hearing there. Um, yeah, it's not super convincing, is it, Lady Shmebulak? But, uh, but, but you can see Frodo trying to, trying to keep things going. Several things, answered Strider, but of course I have my price. What do you mean? said Frodo sharply. Don't be alarmed. I mean this. I mean just this. I will tell you what I know and give you some good advice, but I shall want a reward. And what will that be, pray? said Frodo. He suspected now that he had fallen in with a rascal, and he thought uncomfortably that he had brought only a little money with him. All of it would hardly satisfy a rogue, and he could not spare any of it. "'No more than you could afford,' answered Strider with a slow smile, as if he guessed Frodo's thoughts. "'Just this. You must take me along with you until I wish to leave you.'" Okay. A couple things. First, um, uh, on Twitter, Ardent Crayon was just asking—I love that name. Ardent Crayon was just asking, um, isn't it a little bit weird that Butterbur knows Gan- is, uh, considers Gandalf a personal friend but doesn't really know Strider at all? Um no, I, I mean, I, I, I don't suppose so. Um, or rather, I can, I can understand how that would come about. I can understand how that would be because, um, you know, Gandalf is just a, of, a, of, a, a, he's not from the area, right? He's just passing through, um, and he wants, to, he is 
has cultivated a relationship with Butterbur, it seems. Um, Gandalf's presence is open. He's not a, he's not a stealth factor, right? Um, he, he goes about, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and mines, uh, many different kinds of businesses and things, but he doesn't generally hide himself or try to keep a low profile. Strider has been deliberately trying to keep a low profile. He does not want himself known. Gandalf's existence is not a secret. Aragorn's is, right? Don't forget that Aragorn was raised... He himself didn't even find out who he was until he was 20, right? Uh, That's how... So... Uh, so Strider, the whole point, the whole idea that there is a chieftain of the Dúnedain who is a direct descendant of Isildur who exists, that's supposed to be a secret. Nobody knows that, right? Or rather only like Elrond, the other people at Rivendell and some of the Dúnedain know this. I wonder even if all of the Dúnedain know this. Um, this is a question we were talking about in Silm Film uh, at one point, that it would be interesting uh, to, to, to sort of wonder if, if even some of the, the Dúnedain themselves are um, l- allowed to believe that with the uh, the death of Arathorn, um, and then the you know the subsequent vanishing of Gilrain and her young child, um, whether they died, you know, and uh, uh, and and you know the lines of the chieftain has been broken at last. Um, it might be safer if more people actually believed that. So, um, anyway, but I don't know whether any of the Dunedain don't know it. We know that some of them do, obviously, at least, um, and maybe all of them do, who knows. But clearly, Aragorn, unlike Gandalf, uh, Aragorn is all about keeping his real identity secret. And so, therefore, it's not surprising that he hasn't buddied up with Butterbur in the same way that, uh, that, that Gandalf has. Um... Anyway, yeah. So, um, are all rangers looked upon as shady characters, particularly in Bree? Yes. And Stephanie, let's not forget that the word ranger is meant to suggest that, right? Um, ranger, it's like tramp, right? Vagabond. Um, there's like synonyms for ranger in this sense. A ranger is, you know, I like through Dungeons and Dragons especially, right? The way that Dungeon that you know the way that that uh, you know uh Gary Gygax took that along with so many other things from Tolkien and incorporated it into Dungeons and Dragons and threw that into every other system. Like Ranger is just is a character class. Everybody knows that, right? It's like hunter uh you know stealthy uh woodcrafty uh person who shoots bows um and usually fights with two weapons. Like everybody knows that what this is what a ranger is. But that's not what the word ranger means. Ranger means tramp, vagabond, um, uh, you know, like homeless person, right? And we also have, JJ, I agree, the army rangers, right? Um, and uh, the... the um, so, so yes, there are other traditions, uh, American traditions uh, in particular there, which... Uh, uh, sort of undermine this. And so that when we hear them, when we hear Butterbur say, we call them rangers, right? Um, that doesn't convey to us what Butterbur seems to be conveying, right? Weird homeless travelers. Yes, Amethorn, that's the, that's the kind of thing. Um, uh, it is like, I mean, I, I, I think it is like the word gypsies. Now, I know that some people find that word offensive, but I use it deliberately because that's the point. Like, 
rangers would find the word rangers offensive. Like it is meant to be an insult, that word, ranger. Um, uh, just as the word gypsy was used uh, pejoratively for people, right? Um, so anyway, that's, that's um, uh, very much how I, how, how I think we're supposed to be understanding the word. So we need to kind of, and again, remember, this is why we have to hear that in order to be able to get like when Frodo later on is going to say, I thought he was only a ranger, right? That's why he says only a ranger. Why Gandalf is like, only a ranger, right? Um, uh, and that's, it's at that moment, it's, it's at Gandalf's uh, speech there to Frodo in book, uh, in chapter one of book two, that we sort of get a reorientation, right? Where the word ranger is supposed to now mean something else to us. Right. So that when we get to Rangers of Athelion, it already means something different then than it does uh, when Butterbur uses the word first in Bree. Um, uh, anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, no, Lincoln, I, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm using the word in an academic. I don't apologize for using the word gypsy. My, that's exactly my point is that. I know, I know that people find that word, that, like, being called that offensive. I get that. And that's why I'm invoking it. You know, I'm not, I'm not calling anyone that or doing, but I'm, but I, I just, I want to acknowledge it. Um, it's okay, you know, in a, in, in, in a, in a, in an educational context to talk about these things sometimes, right? And that's, that's what I'm doing because I believe it is in that same spirit, that same hurtful spirit that the word ranger is being used. Um, would I use the N-word academically too then, Lincoln? I absolutely would. Yes, I certainly would. Were I talking about Huck Finn or something like that? Yes. Uh, the uh, the mere banning of words and not being allowed to talk about things I do not think makes things better. Um, of course one needs to be cognizant of the feelings that people have about stuff, and you always want to be sensitive to people. Um, but simply banning words as illegal, I find, is not a way to begin to... to, to develop any kind of constructive dialogue about we have to be able to talk about things don't we even to talk about things in a kind and sensitive way we need to be able to use words um but anyway uh so so yes i i i i <laughs> that's 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 uh that's that's my point anyway okay back to strider here um and here i'm wanting to pick up on and uh, sort of go in between here what have you to say, says Frodo. Several things, answered Strider. But of course I have my price. Now, why Why does Strider say that? Why does he talk about having his price? Right? Um, Strider's being really cagey here. Right, and we know he's gonna explain that he doesn't want to be up front. He doesn't want to reveal himself. He's not sure that it might not be a trap. But even understanding that, um, why is he entering into it this way? Is he testing the hobbits, JJ? That's my question too. But of course, I have my price. Um. Bruinier, it's possible he could be trying to teach the hobbits to be more careful in the sense of like, first I'm going to act really sketchy, right? I'm going to act like a con artist and brigand, right? Um, uh, like a rogue or a rascal, right? To use the narrator's words there, uh, as Frodo's thinking. 
and uh, um, so yeah, so he's um, he's he's acting like that. I mean, because that's just what a rascal would say, right? Of course, I have. I will tell you things to your advantage, but I have my price, right? I I'm going to demand payment in advance before I tell you the thing to your advantage, right? Um, and Frodo thinks that they've fallen in with a rascal, right? So again, like a, a thief or a con artist, at least, right? He's got to know he sounds like that. So why why do that? Um, I agree, Blue is that he's feeling Frodo out. But again, how does this accomplish that? That's my question, right? Um, if this is a test, what would failing the test look like? What's he testing for, exactly? And what would failing the test look like? What, what, what reaction is he hoping for or hoping not to see, right? Um... See, but a, a, a couple of people are suggesting that he's trying to, to make Frodo take him on as a guide. It would seem to me that by starting off his conversation by saying, I'm going to tell you several things, but I have my price, is likelier to push Frodo away than anything else, right? Um, and then he does it again, right? Don't be alarmed. I mean just this. I will tell you what I know and give you some good advice, but I shall want a reward. Um, he's going to come around to saying, I want to come with you, right? But even that, he says extremely indirectly. Just this, you must take me along with you until I wish to leave you. You must take me along with you. Notice all the things that he doesn't say. Right? He doesn't say, I would like to help you. I think you need my help. I think I, you know, I, I, they're in private now. Nobody else can overhear them, right? He doesn't offer to help. He doesn't express concern. Instead, he says, I'll help if you reward me, right? Uh, I have my price, I shall want a reward, and then my reward is, you must take me along with you until I wish to leave you. Implying the time may come when I am going to just leave, right? I'm not committed to this. Again, he doesn't, hasn't said anything about wanting to come, right? He hasn't said about wanting to help, about caring anything about them or, or, or what they're doing, Right? He's avoided saying anything like that. He has gone out of his way to sound as like mercenary as possible, right? As disengaged as possible. He doesn't really care about them or what they're doing, right? Um, yeah, Tony Good, he doesn't offer to, to lead them anywhere. Yeah, uh, take me along with you. Yeah, let me tag along until I want to leave. That's all. That's all. Just let me tag along, right? Later on, I'll probably leave. But until then, and then I'm on all choice. Choose right when I do leave. But at some point, I'll leave. Whatever. But uh, until then, let me tag along with you, right? Um, uh, lots of comments here. 
Again, I agree that he's testing them, but for what? How? He's testing their caution. Success would mean questioning Strider and being suspicious. Failure would be trusting too easy. This is Ambrosius Aureliana suggesting that. That sounds probable. That sounds probable. Um, He wants them to be cautious. I don't think that's his only goal, though. One of the other effects, JJ, as you were just saying there, is he not planning to reveal more about himself? Er, he's not planning to real, reveal more about himself until he earns their trust on the road, or at least until the letter comes along. Um, yeah, JJ, the issue seems to be revealing stuff about himself. Um, if we think about the big picture here, like the of just of what he has said so far, they, no one, including them, right, hearing him would have any clear reason to believe that he is interested in them, right? He's not betraying interest. He's not saying, you're from the Shire, aren't you? I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you, in particular. He's not saying, um, I really want to help you, right? Can I go along with you? And I, What you're doing, we don't have to talk about it, but what you're, what you're doing is super important, and I want to help however I can, right? Why wouldn't he do that if he didn't want to give himself away, right? Everything he has said would be consistent with the person that he, like, with the front that he maintains in Bree, right? That is, of a vagabond who may very well be a highwayman, for all you know, right? I mean, there's clearly some dark suspicions and a general lack of trust of this Strider fellow in Bree, right? That's his front, Um dangerous man of the wild who occasionally comes in and you don't know what to expect from me and sometimes I'll tell a good story but um, you know you don't know anything about me or or who I am or, or what my values are or anything like that um, so yeah Pontine I think he is wanting he is not trusting them here um, he wants to test their trustworthiness Marianne says yeah exactly um yeah, a couple of you, Valoria, I know you're suggesting that he's just messing with them. I'm not saying that that doesn't work, because, of course, like, if you begin with the premise that he's just messing with them, it would work. I mean, like, that that reading would hold together, apart from the fact that I can't imagine Strider just toying with them under these circumstances, right? Uh, this is uh, far too important a moment and way too shaky a situation for him just to be like, ah, just messing, right? I just wanted to, just wanted to make you worried there. No, actually, I'm fine. Um, I can't imagine that he thinks this is a, a safe enough situation that he can just play games, really. Um, uh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, so, right, exactly. Um, JJ says, what could Strider possibly say otherwise that wouldn't make Frodo more suspicious? Well... I agree, JJ. It's hard to see, right? He's got a couple choices, right? Um, If he just drops his front and is honest, right? Hi, I'm a friend of Gandalf, and I'm here to help you, right? Please let me help you, because I really care about the success of you, and I swear that I will, you know, give my life to save you if I must. 
if he opens with that, right? Are they going to trust that? Uh, why would they, right? Um, he's already thinking that he could be a con artist, right? Um, but what he does instead is play up to the misperception, the misconception, right? Um, and I think that um, I think that he is concealing his identity from them, which leads me to suspect that he believes they might be spies, that they might be plants, which seems strange, right? Um, I don't know how that would work, but would the Witch King be trying to smoke him out by, what, hiring hobbits? Like he, so the Witch King, the Black Riders are going to go into the Shire and they're going to bribe some hobbits, they're going to offer some hobbits gold to go to Bree, right? Hoping, and then watch them, hoping that Strider will come and reveal himself to them so that they can nab him. I'm just, I'm trying to guess what he's afraid of, right? Um, what the, what the, because this it's, I mean, they're not like, this is not a makeup job, right? This is not forced perspective. They're obviously hobbits, right? Everybody can tell that they're hobbits from the Shire, right? That's clearly a genuine thing. So if he suspects that they might be agents of the enemy, that they might be a trap for him in some sense, that's the only way I can make sense of a trap for him, would have to be if there were hobbits who were working for the Black Riders doing something like that. Now, Blue Wizard, I agree. There are hobbits who would do it, right? Offer them gold and say, you know, if like sketchy, you know, black, you know, whispering dude, hissing dude, you know, comes and offers you gold and says, go to Bree for the night and stay at the Prancing Pony. They're, they're, they're totally hobbits who would do that, right? I think, probably. Um, yeah. Right, Matt says it might be less nabbing him and more getting him to go off with the wrong hobbits. That seems possible. Right, Tom, exactly. I do think Ted Sandyman would take that job in a heartbeat. Um, and not all of his servants and chattels are wraiths, mad violinist, absolutely. Um, uh, so yeah, entirely, entirely possible. Right, entirely possible. Um, so... Now, I agree Amathorn and Fourth Dauntless are saying, but he's going to admit later on that uh, he saw them talking to Tom Bombadil, right? Um, he still doubts them? He still thinks that they're plants? What did they say to Tom Bombadil that guaranteed that they are who they say they are? that they are who he thinks they are, right? Um, But then again, he just saw Frodo disappear in the common room, right? He's confident enough that Frodo has the ring that he said to him, uh, you put your foot in it, or should I say your finger, right? Um, So I don't think that he really believes that these are random cover hobbits, right? that these are hobbit stooges hired by the Black Riders. Um, 
he he believes that Frodo is Frodo. He believes that Frodo has the ring. So I don't think it could be that. In which case, what is it? Why is Strider being so cautious? Um, partly is it he's thinking about, it could be that he's thinking about how to convince Frodo, but again, I can't imagine that acting like playing up to Frodo's bad expectations does not seem the way to like I will convince you that I am not a brigand and a ruffian by acting exactly like a brigand and ruffian at first. Right? That does not seem like a good plan to me. I mean, maybe it's more devious, more you know, more cunning uh, than I think, but I, I, that does not seem to me uh, like a uh, like a great plan. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. So, Mad Violinist, I come back to your question: What if he is doubting? the effect of the ring. We know that he seemed to be concerned, and with fairly good reason, in the common room of the inn, that Frodo was at least a moron. Right? At least a moron, possibly worse. Is this a test that way? Right? Is he testing Frodo's moral character? Um, uh, somebody, I'm forgetting who it was, uh, was suggesting earlier um, that it's a test for uh, his um, their suspiciousness, right? Um, that you know, like I'm going to see if they're going to just blithely go along with it. In which case, I'll smack them upside the head, right? Um, I'm trying to teach them a lesson in caution. That's plausible. I think that that's plausible, um, but. Um, but I wonder if it's more than that. I wonder if this is like how careless are you, right? How how um, think of the decision that Aragorn has to has to be in right now, right? And this was somebody was talking about this on the discussion boards, and I'm forgetting already who it was. Um, the question of does it ever occur to Aragorn? to just take the ring, right? Not because he wants it for himself, but, like, basically, does it ever occur to him to say, okay, uh, Frodo, you're the ring bearer. Oh, Mike, that was you. Okay, sorry, good. Uh, Frodo, you're the ring bearer. You're fired, right? You're a crappy ring bearer, Frodo. Uh, like, I would not I would trust a monkey with this ring before I would trust you with this ring. I'm going to take the ring and get it to Rivendell because at least then there's a reasonable chance that it's going to succeed, right? Uh, you are obviously a complete disaster, and uh, I'm taking this thing out of your hands for the sake of the good of the world, right? Um, exactly, Pontine. I mean, he's. it's not that that thought would not have its justifications, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, so, now, obviously, I think we can say with confidence that if Aragorn had done that, it would have been the wrong thing to do, right? Um, 
he might have been very convinced that he was doing what was best for everybody in relieving Frodo of the ring, uh, because the ring would be much better off in his hands than in Frodo's hands, right? Even though he has no intention, obviously, to use it or anything like that. But this, you don't have to think very far before this sounds to starts to sound exactly like you ye old standard uh uh um you know ring induced monologue right that sounds like a a, a ring rationalization if anything ever does uh so yeah I, I i definitely think that um that aragorn would have been wrong to give into this but i can't imagine i can't imagine he's not tempted right um uh and so, yeah, I mean, you think Aragorn's got more integrity than that, J.J.? I agree, but again, it's not necessarily about integrity, right? Um, the idea that the ring would be safer with Aragorn, that is to say that it would be less likely to fall into the hands of the Black Riders, it's unquestionable, Right? certainly is true. Obvious. I mean, you don't even have to see Frodo prancing on the table and falling off and putting it on in the middle of the common room to say that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Mike says, how much less capable would the hobbits have to be to make it the right choice? I don't think it would ever be the right choice, Mike. I really don't. Um, but it would get a, it would become a more and more understandable choice for Aragorn to make. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Galandar, I agree. I think there are all kinds of reasons that he would have to think uh, that the ring would be much safer in his hands. Because, again, like, it would. It totally would. It makes much more sense, right? Uh, no question that Aragorn is an upgrade in almost every way over Frodo uh, as ring bearer, it would seem. Except for, of course, one of the really, like, the, the most important thing. Namely, the fact that he is so much less qualified, right? Um, it is Frodo's lack of qualification that makes him the perfect ring bearer. It's not the other way around. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Bricktails is asking, does Strider know the corrupting power of the ring? I have to think he does. I cannot imagine that Aragorn does not know pretty much what Gandalf knows about the ring of power. Um, at the Council of Elrond, he is going to make it clear that he and Gandalf embarked on, like, the hunt for Gollum and everything. Like, the making up for Isildur's fault, like, they know about the ring, right? He knows about the ring. Um, I, 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 I've got to think that he's pretty, he's pretty fully briefed there. Um, yeah. Um, and he did spend a lot of time with Gollum Oakwig. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, so yeah, no, exactly, Tom. He knows what it's done to Gollum and what the other rings did to the Black Riders. Um, does he know exactly how it would try to get to him? You know, does he, does he know enough to recognize when like these particular lines of rationalization, you know, would lead you to a particular place to suspect that this is the influence of the ring? I don't know if he, if he is sort of familiar with it, um, in sufficient detail for that to be true. Um, but, does he know it corrupts? Yes. Does he know it plays on, like, 
people's desires. Yeah, I gotta think he knows that too. Um, yeah, yeah. And I agree, Fourth Thomas. I also cannot imagine that Gandalf would not have tasked Aragorn to look after Frodo without a full briefing. Now, keep in mind, Gandalf disappeared before he, like, had time to... Uh, I mean, he did not brief Aragorn before he left, and when he left, he still intended to come home in time, to come back in time to uh, to accompany Frodo from Bag End, right? So he didn't think that Aragorn was going to need to be his stand-in in the way that he has turned out to uh, uh, to need to be. Um, but but still, I I'm, I feel fairly confident that Gandalf would have been able to brief him uh, fairly fairly fully there. So I'm pretty sure Strider knows taking the ring on his own, like taking the ring away from Frodo, is not really a smart move. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I come back to what is he testing them for? Why is he acting like a brigand? Why is he sounding... Why is he framing what he is saying in such a way as to sound like a rascal? And that, and that has to be deliberate. Again, three times, right? I have my price. I shall want a reward. Uh, you must take me along with you until I wish to leave you, right? Um, why is he deliberately sounding sketchy? Not, I think, to establish their identity, perhaps to, to conceal their his identity from them or from anyone else, Um but it's possible that he's worried about people eavesdropping, J.J. I was just thinking about that, too. Um, that is possible. But I wonder if he is wondering. Again, he can't be impressed by what he's seen from Frodo so far, right? Is he just testing to see exactly how reckless, how careless are they going to be? It's kind of like, you know, what you guys were saying before about seeing how suspicious they are, right? Um, But, um, yeah, yeah. Assessing what they're made of, Tom, that seems to be a good way to, like, are they going to stand up to him, right? Are they going to give in? Are they going to let themselves be bullied? Um, Yeah trying their metal in a more general sense. In that sense, I can go along with messing with them, right? Not just for fun, right? He's not just trolling them, but, um, but, but to, 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 to test them in that sense. I, I want to see what you're made of. How are you going to respond when, you know, a parent brigand comes and starts, you know, sounding like a con artist or a highwayman uh, making demands? What do you do? How do you react? Um, he wants he wants to know that. Um, yeah. Um, and he wants to see what their motives are. Are they moved by gain or power or duty? Yes. Um, he wants to see what their motives are. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm pausing there, Tony, is that so far, I don't think that his his the stance that he's taking would seem to lead to revealing that very clearly. Um, it's more like how would they respond to him to like the move that he's making. He's not yet sort of seeing their own moves, right? Um, but um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but th- this idea of testing their character seems to me to make the most sense. And it also, again, he's still concealing, he still is definitely concealing his own identity, um, I would say. Frodo's getting nervous, understandably. You must take me along with you until I wish to leave you. Oh, indeed, replied Frodo, surprised, but not much relieved. Um, It's not where he expected this rogue to go, right? He thought he was going to get asked for money, and that reward was not the reward that he was expecting, right? But he is not comforted. Even if I wanted another companion, I should not agree to any such thing until I knew a good deal more about you and your business. Excellent, exclaimed Strider, crossing his legs and sitting back comfortably. You seem to be coming to your senses again, and that is all to the good. You have been much too careless so far. Very well. I will tell you what I know and leave the reward to you. You may be glad to grant it when you have heard me. Okay, so what shifts here? We have his approval, right? Uh, you know, he, so he, he approves of Frodo's response. Um, you seem to be coming to your senses again, and that is all to the good. You have been much too careless so far. Uh, that's interesting to me because notice the position that he's taking here, right? Um, before, to this point in the conversation, he's been playing the part of sketchy guy who's looking for something, who's trying to get something out of you, right? I want a reward. I have my price. I'll give you some good advice. I'll give you some information and good advice, but you've got to pony up first, right? Um, now he's saying, he's not saying that anymore. Now he's approving of them. You seem to be coming to your senses, and that is all to the good. You have been much too careless so far. He's speaking, yeah, it, m- in with superiority over them, JJ. Exactly. Um, it's shading if switched off, condescension turned on, says Alia Eru. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, he's now speaking like, I don't know what, like an older brother or something. He's somebody with some kind of authority over them. You have been much too careless so far. He's scolding them now, right? Um, But notice also the really important shift. I will tell you what I know and leave the reward to you. You may be glad to grant it when you have heard me. Right? So, and so that's two significant things. A, I'm going to tell you first before you pay me or make any promises. Right? I'm not going to insist on payment up front. And B, I'm not going to even then insist on it. I'll leave it up to you. You can choose whether you want to reward me or not. Right after you've heard what I'm what I'm going to say, so that is a clear changing of his of his stance. Right, he's backed off from the shady crook uh, um, persona that he was projecting, and he's now saying, "I'm going to leave it up to." So he's 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 showing something. Right, he's offering not well trust respect. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, uh, that's interesting, uh, 
was it Cecilia who just said that? Um, he does. He does give Frodo the benefit of the doubt that he had senses at some point, right? Uh, and that he's he lost them and now is coming back to them, right? So he's not uh, he's not making the assumption that uh, singing and dancing on tables and putting on the ring in the middle of a large crowd is Frodo's baseline, <laughs> right? He does seem to sort of grant that hopefully that was an aberration of Frodo's normal behavior. I really like that observation. Um, and yes, Ambrosius Aurelianus, I agree. The new stance gives Frodo more control over the situation and should make Frodo more comfortable. And notice what accompanies his change, the change in his stance with Frodo, is the description of the change of his physical stance, of his posture, right? Uh, when he says excellent, he crosses his legs and sits back comfortably, right? Um, so apparently before, he was not lounging and sitting back comfortably. He was sitting in a chair next to the door, uh, but was sitting up, right? Um, so the fact that he was sitting down um, was important, right? He wasn't looming over them. He wasn't standing there looking like he was ready to pounce or anything. Like, I'm sitting in a chair is a reasonably good way to say I'm not, like, one second away from thumping you in the head, right? But... Um, now sitting back and crossing his legs, he's now going to the further extreme of, I am not going to leap into action right now, right? I am, I am, I am putting my hands up and showing you I'm, I'm being as non-threatening in my body language right now as I possibly can. Um, and that goes along with the, I'm not demanding a reward. I'm not going to ask you for anything, even a promise up front. I'm going to give you what I have first, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, let's see. Interesting. Yeah, um, John Oskos is saying he seems to be indicating that he wasn't sure what the effects what effects the ring was having, that he needed to know that Frodo had come back from that before he could deal with him. Yeah, that is interesting. It is interesting to think about that. Um, Is that the whole... Was that the nature of the test? Excellent, you seem to be coming to your senses again. Was that it? Have you come to your senses? Or are you still being wild, crazy, and reckless? Right? Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Now, I agree... um, Lady Shmebuak, that there is a kind of an emotional whiplash for the hobbits. Notice, I would also say there's a sense in which he's also sort of revealing the fact that he was putting on an act, right? Or suggesting, at least. Um, uh, That he was uh, that he was putting on an act just a minute ago, right? Um, but maybe it could just be that he's compromising with them. Very well, I will tell you what I know and leave the reward to you. You're such a hard negotiator, Frodo. Uh, Okay, go on then, said Frodo. What do you know? Here's Frodo still taking charge of the situation. Again, remember remember to think about this from Frodo's point of view, right? Strider's been kind of dominating the conversation so far. Uh, Frodo, this guy knows something. 
right? He's not just a totally random ruffian. He knows something. He seems to know about the ring. He knows my real name, right? This is... So that can only mean one of two things. If he knows his name is Baggins and he knows he has the ring, he must be either a servant of the Black Riders or a friend of Gandalf. That's, there's really only two options here, right? Um, so he's still trying to figure out who Strider is. Um, and it's, so it's either a good situation or it's a horrible situation. And Frodo is still being... Professional, yes, Tony is recalling uh, 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 Bilbo's most businesslike tone from Chapter One of The Hobbit. It is kind of like that the tone that the tone that Frodo adopts here. What does he know? Too much, too many dark things," said Strider grimly. "But as for your business, he got up and went to the door, opened it quickly, and looked out. Then he shut it quietly and sat down again. I have quick ears," he went on, lowering his voice, "and though I cannot disappear." I have hunted many wild and wary things, and I can usually avoid being seen if I wish. Now, I was behind the hedge this evening, on the road west of Bree, when four hobbits came out of the downlands. I need not repeat all that they said to old Bombadil or to one another, but one thing interested me. Please remember, said one of them, that the name Baggins must not be mentioned. I am Mr. Underhill, if any name must be given. That interested me so much that I followed them here. I slipped over the gate just behind them. Maybe Mr. Baggins has an honest reason for leaving his name behind, but if so, I should advise him and his friends to be more careful. I don't see what interest my name has for anyone in Bree, said Frodo angrily, and I have still to learn why it interests you. Mr. Strider may have an honest reason for spying and eavesdropping, but if so, I should advise him to explain it. If Strider made any progress in the previous slide, I think he's undone it here. Right? Um, Do you see what I mean by that? Um, What I was just saying, he knows my name is Baggins. So he must be either a servant of the Black Riders or a friend of Gandalf. Oh, wait. Or there's a third option, right? He could be a local footpad hiding behind hedges who heard me say my name outside of Bree. And so he knows that I am going under a false name and he's now trying to blackmail me, right? Um, That's... uh, that uncomfortable, like basically what Frider, Strider has just told them has no comforting angle to it, it seems to me, right? Um, creep status elevated, absolutely, Stephanie. Yeah, it's, um, uh, uh, and, and even admitting to slipping over the gate just behind them, um, Bricktails, it says, for a long time, I thought the dark figure that slipped over the gate as they entered was a Nazgul. I remember thinking that, too, first few times I read the book. Yeah. Um, I didn't... I, I, I remember the day I realized that that was Strider, you know, when I paid close enough attention to what he says here to be, oh, that's Str- that dark figure that slipped over was Strider, not, the, not, not a black writer. Um, yeah. Uh, so... 
Um, anyway, um, why? Again, why? Notice how close to the chest Strider is playing it here, right? He doesn't give away anything about how he might have gotten any previous information about Frodo and what he's doing, right? Um, It is possible I am in league with the Black Riders. It is possible I'm a friend of Gandalf. It is also possible I'm just a random creepy guy who is around Bree, right? And have come here to betray you or blackmail you. Um, Notice how he says, I need not repeat all that they said to old Bombadil or to one another. Do you remember what they did say to Bombadil and to one another? He's saying, I know what you said. I heard what you said. I don't need to repeat it, but I heard what you said. What did they say? Do you remember what they said? The name of Baggins must not be mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. But what else? What else did he say that he doesn't quote? But that remember the conversation that they were having with Tom at the side of the uh, of of the road and then together? What would if he were just a creepy guy who lived around Bree, hanging out behind hedges eavesdropping, what would he have learned from their conversation? They asked Tom to come with him. Yep. Yep. He's a caution and no mistake. Yes. Sam's assessment of Tom Bombadil. He would have heard that. Yes, mad violinist. Do you think that we shall be pursued tonight? Um, Yeah. And Arden Cran, I have no idea what Frodo would have done if Strider was evil here. They're basically trapped. I mean, if he, if he is in league with the Black Riders, they're in trouble. Right. But yes. Do you think we will be pursued tonight? Oakwick? Um, uh, That's exactly it. They, um, uh, so he would have learned again, if he were just a random guy hanging out behind hedges, he would have learned that these hobbits are hiding something in particular, that that one is trying to hide his name and not let anybody knows, know that he is, he has some motivation for concealing his name. Right. And they expect to be pursued, right? Someone is after them. So, if he were a rogue, there's double advantage here, right? I can blackmail him, so I could go to him and get him to pay me off to not give him away, right? Or I could blab around to everybody that your real name is Baggins, which you're trying to hide, apparently, right? And I also know that people are chasing you, so all I gotta do is find the people chasing you, right? So I could get reward from them, I could get a reward from you, heck, I could get a reward from you and then get a reward from them. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, uh, the, all of those things are quite possible. Um, yeah. So and people are pointing out, did they say Tom Bombadil's name? They absolutely did. And a good con artist would be able to pick up on that. Right. They did talk about Master Bombadil and Tom. Um, so. So, yes. Um, uh the Master Bombadil comment from Sam, right? From overhearing Sam, he would have learned Bombadil's name, so he would not have to know, but he can act like he does, 
right? Again, if he were a good con artist, that's totally what he would have said. I need not repeat what they said to old bum, what they said to old Bombadil, right? Pfft, you know Bombadil, I know Bombadil, right? Of course we do, right? Um, now, of course, I think that Strider really knows who Bombadil is. My point is, everything that he's saying. This is exactly what somebody who was this kind of rogue, an eavesdropping, blackmailing, I might sell you out to, like, I'm like Bill Fernie and would sell my own mother for a profit. Like, I, this is exactly the kind of thing that he would say, right? Um, and yes, Harnoth, I think you're right. Strider is suggesting that if he could eavesdrop on the Hobbits and Tom Bombadil, so could others. I suspect that that's a big part of what he's getting at here, right? Um, especially in the context, Harnuth, of how this converse, how this part of the conversation begins, right? With him opening the door to make sure no one's listening in, right? And then having checked to make sure that they weren't being eavesdropped on, he turns around and is like, by the way, I was totally eavesdropping on you guys earlier on. Um, remember he just said in his mentor mode, right? Um... Uh, you've been much too careless. Uh, you've been much too careless so far, and now he seems to be what driving that point home. Let me illustrate to you exactly how uncautious you've been, how incautious you've been, right? Exactly how careless you've been. Like, let's not even talk about the whole singing on the tables incident, right? Even when you were outside town, you were being eavesdropped on, and you didn't even realize it, right? So that fits with that kind of mentor. Um, uh, um, that kind of mentor role that he was that he was taking. Um, I still can't help but find this speech a little bit strange. He seems to be going back into um, creepy mode, right? Um, Yeah. Stephanie, it's all part of Strider's competency test. Um, uh, yeah. And also, how are they going to respond, right? Um, maybe Mr. Baggins has an honest reason for me leaving his name behind. But if so, I should advise him and his friends to be more careful. Let's think about that for a little bit. That's, um, um, he's told his own story about how he came to them, and he's done so by not revealing anything about who he is or about how he knew anything about them. Um, it's one thing to say he hasn't mentioned Gandalf yet. He's done more than not mention Gandalf. He has explained how he knew that Frodo's real name was Baggins in a way which would preclude the necessity for Gandalf, right? Um... He wouldn't have to reveal anything about who he is and who he knows and what he knows in order to explain this, right? So he's still hiding stuff about himself. But again, back to that last question. Maybe Mr. Baggins has an honest reason for leaving his name behind, but if so, I should advise him and his friends to be more careful. Um... The two halves of that statement don't really um, don't really seem to fit to me. Uh, let me explain what I mean. When Frodo echoes him, 
right? Mr. Strider may have an honest reason for spying and eavesdropping, but if so, I should advise him to explain it, right? The second half of that statement comes directly from the first half. Perhaps you have an honest reason for doing this apparently dishonest thing. If so, out with it, right? That's not what Strider says. Strider says, perhaps you have an honest reason for doing this apparently dishonest thing. If that's true, you should be more you should be a little bit more subtle about it, right? That's a totally different kind of approach. Do you see what I mean by that? Um, he sounds like he's putting them on the spot. He sounds like he's challenging them. Like, you're not really honest, are you? Like, you maybe you have... Again, the whole phrasing sounds sarcastic, right? Maybe Mr. Baggins has an honest reason for leaving his name behind. But the implication is you probably don't, right? At least that's what that phrasing seems to invite, right? Um, but instead of instead of challenging the dishonest the dishonesty which more likely lies behind this action, right? Which is, again, what Frodo was just about to do to Strider. Instead of doing that, he goes back into mentor mode, right? I should advise him and his friends to be more careful, right? If you do, if theoretically you do have an honest reason for leaving your name behind, you should be more careful about what you're doing than you've been, right? So I think that that, that last thing, the but if so uh, uh, clause at the end of that last sentence seems to suddenly kind of take this paragraph in a completely different way. Um, Yeah, Tony, I agree. He is saying if you're trying to be sneaky, you suck at it, which they clearly do. I mean, guilty is charged as far as that's concerned. Um, And Tony, if, if, if... One question is, where does this lead? Like, what response is he wanting, right? What response is he expecting? Um, why, why say this? And I think, like, so to what do his comments, and that, especially that final statement, to what does that tend, right? Notice Frodo, when he says, may have an honest reason, but if so, I should advise him to explain it. That is very pointed, Right? If you are honest, explain to me why you would act like that, right? You've acted in a dishonest way. I'm challenging you to explain it in such a way as to convince me that it was not dishonest, right? But that's not where Strider goes. The tendency of Strider's comment is, well, what exactly? Tony, back to what you said, if you're trying to be sneaky, you suck at it, right? Um, you need my help. Like, first, the first step, Frodo, is admitting that you need help, right? I'm not going to take the ring from you, but dang, brother, you need help, right? You're doing a terrible job here. I mean, no offense, but you're really doing a terrible job here. And I think, remember what he said before, I'll give you some advice and I'll leave the reward to you, but you may be glad to grant it after you've hurt me, right? And one of the things that he seems to be doing here is being like, can I emphasize how much you would be advantaged? I, you, I remember I said you would hear something to your advantage, right? The thing to your advantage is take me along with you, right? That would be to your advantage. But he's letting them kind of come to their own conclusions about this, right? 
Um, and Emma Thorne, it is a kind of a long convoluted way of scolding Frodo, which is why I think scolding is not the primary. If, if, if he were merely wanting to scold, if that were the only motivation, he could have done that way more directly, right? I think the long sell is to say, on the one hand, there's a certain amount of this narrative opens the door to trust in some sense, if you see what I mean. First, he is revealing a lot about himself. Like, he's telling them all these things that he, he doesn't have to, right? He, if he were just trying to leverage, if he were trying to scare them or blackmail them or something, it would be much more to his advantage just to be mysterious, right? I know all these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal some of the things that I know and not tell you how I found out about them because I'm going to make you worry that I know even more than I actually know, right? If, you, uh, if I let your mind wander on what I might possibly know you know, yeah. So, uh, that would be the technique of somebody who was really trying to to blackmail them, right? So first, he tells them not only what he knows, but how he learned it, right? Um, and says, and the moral of the story is, y'all gotta be more careful than that, right? Um, you need my help, uh, and I'm and I'm competent as well, right? Um, so he's sort of painting the picture, right? Uh, and, um, yeah, Galandar says this way he's able to scold them pretty thoroughly without having to let on everything that he knows about them. Yeah, he can still keep himself uh, in the shadows, right? He can still uh, maintain deniability about who he is while still getting across the point that he wants to get across, right? Yeah. Um Yeah. And yes, JJ, he's not demanding that they tell him the full story, just letting them know that he knows some stuff and that they should be more careful. Um, yeah, exactly. He, he doesn't make any demands of them, right? Tell me more. Give me something. He just says, you might have an honest reason for this, but if so, if you do have a good, honest, noble reason for being in hiding and running away from people... I'd advise you to be more careful. Again, I, I got to think that last, that whole paragraph builds up like a, a long sell on blackmail, right? Um, and in the end, goes somewhere quite different, right? Um, kind of unexpected, really. Um, and then Frodo has his snappy comeback, right? As he seems to be genuinely outraged, genuinely angry at being eavesdropped on, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well answered, said Strider, laughing. But the explanation is simple. I was looking for a hobbit called Frodo Baggins. I wanted to find him quickly. I had learned that he was carrying out of the Shire, well, a secret that concerned me and my friends. Now don't mistake me, he cried as Frodo rose from his seat and Sam jumped up with a scowl. Look out, Sam Gamgee is about to uh, open up a can here. Uh, I shall take more care of the secret than you do, and care is needed. He leaned forward and looked at them. Watch every shadow, he said in a low voice. Black horsemen have passed through Bree. On Monday one came down the greenway, they say, and another appeared later, coming up the greenway from the south. Okay, so 
what does he reveal here? Right? He has his second, uh, second approving remark. Right? Uh, excellent, he said the first time. Well answered, he says the second time. Now the second time, he laughs. Right? He really enjoys Frodo's comeback. Uh, Frodo's comeback is witty, how he takes his own phrasing and turns it against him, right? Um, uh, even how he sort of undermines the sort of, even, even the mentor angle, right? How I know so much more than you, right? And Frodo, the, the way that Frodo's able to spin his own com, uh, uh, comment back on him and put him in a position where now he needs to explain his own self uh, and why he's acting the way he's acting, Um that's uh that is well answered right and it does kind of alter the um uh it does sort of alter the uh the sort of power dynamic between them right uh and in response to that in response to that uh strider suddenly reveals some stuff yes tony now he's giving information rather than ac- than than asking for it um and he is, I agree, Ambrosius, completely forthright, right? Um, he doesn't reveal everything, but he's much more forthright. I'm look- I was looking for a hobbit called Frodo Baggins. You, the, you guys who were looking at the conversation at the hedge before, right at the, right at the end of uh, uh, of 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 chapter seven, there. Uh, or eight, rather, chapter eight. Um, did anyone mention Frodo's name? First name. Right? He said the name of Baggins must not be mentioned, so he said Baggins. Did any of them say Frodo? What I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out is, when Strider says, I'm, I was looking for a hobbit called Frodo Baggins, would they know for sure that that meant that he must have some other knowledge that came not from eavesdropping. Um, is he proving by saying this that he's not just some sketchy guy from Bree who eavesdrops behind hedges and then exploits that information later on? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For Thomas, I didn't think they did either. Um, yeah, and JJ, that's a great point. JJ points out that uh, servants of the enemy would be looking for Baggins and likely specifically for Bilbo Baggins. Um, yes, the f- whether or not he could have heard that eavesdropping, and I don't think he could have, but whether or not he could have, um, if he were getting his information from the Black Riders, he wouldn't have that, right? Um, they're just looking for Baggins. And if they did know a first name, it would be Bilbo's, not Frodo's, right? That's true. Um, so, of the three possibilities, right, of how he knows who Frodo, what Frodo's real name is, right? I'm a friend of Gandalf, I'm a servant of the Black Riders, or I'm just a creepy guy who hangs out behind bushes and eavesdrops on folks. Um, this throws it into that, into the Gandalf camp, I think, right? Um, I was looking for a hobbit called Frodo Baggins. I wanted. I, I had learned he was carrying out of the Shire a secret that concerned me and my friends. Who are his friends? 
right? He has overtly suggested that he is in league with somebody now. He's not said anything about who it is, right? But he's in league with somebody. They immediately jump to the conclusion that it's the Black Riders, right? You can tell by they, they, their response, the fact that he has to say, now don't mistake me, right? Frodo is, jump, is, is rising from his seat. Sam jumps up, right? Their first interpretation of his speech here is that he's revealing the fact that he's working for the Black Riders, right? Which has to have been their worst fears all the way through, right? Um, I mean, that's, of all the possibilities, like, the fact that he's just a rascal and rogue uh, from the Bree area who eavesdrop and is trying to blackmail them, that's bad, especially because he could reveal them to the Black Riders for pay, but, uh, and we know they're offering gold. Um, so that's bad, but not nearly as bad as I'm already working for the Black Riders, right? Um, uh, yeah, Mike, I agree with you that um, uh, me and my friends... Sounds weird. It sounds strange. He's being very indirect, right? He's he's still notice he still has not said anything, anything that would give himself away, right? That would reveal who he is, what his motives are, who he's in league with, none of that stuff, right? Um can you prove a connection between him and Gandalf, between him and anyone? Right between him and the elves, between him and Tom Bombadil, I mean nothing. Right, um, he is still he's not said anything incriminating yet, anything to prove uh, what side he's on, and so therefore Frodo and Sam, at least perhaps Pippin, though we don't know how he responds, um, uh, are um, uh, are are. Are, are, are assuming that this is bad news, right? That this is this is the worst possible news. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, how does he reassure them? How does he respond? He can tell what they think, right? Um, don't mistake me. Why shouldn't they mistake him, right? I shall take more care of the secret than you do. Not a high bar so far, right? This is not an extremely uh, uh, challenging standard to surpass. But anyway, I shall take more care of the secret than you do, and care is needed. And now he's leaning forward in a conspiratorial way. I love all the cues about uh, what we see about Strider's body language throughout this whole scene, right? He leans forward and looks at them. Watch every shadow. Black horseman have passed through Bree. On Monday one came down the Greenway, they say, and another appeared later, coming up the Greenway from the south. So now he's giving them information. Yes, good, Tony. He's, he re- reassures them by revealing news they need to know. If he were in league with the Black Riders, he wouldn't be talking about them. Like He wouldn't be reviewing their movements, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, exactly. So he's he's he he reveals the fact that he knows who they're afraid of, right? And the fact that he is leaning forward and acting all conspiratorial when he's saying this is clearly designed to lead them to believe I'm on the same side with you, right? I'm worried the Black Riders might be with what watch every shadow, 
right? Beware of the black horsemen, right? He calls them black horsemen. Still neutral. I'm not giving away that I know anything about them, right? I just know that they're horsemen and they're all dressed in black and they're riding black horses, right? So they're black horsemen. Uh, I don't know that I know anything about them. I'm not revealing that I know anything about them, right? I'm just telling you because you know who they are, right? You know that they're hunting for you. So he has now in two paragraphs revealed two things, right? One, that he knows Frodo's first name, right? He knows Frodo's full name and that he's carrying a secret out of the Shire. And two, I know who's chasing you, right? They didn't say that, I think, right? Um, I'm pretty sure when he was eavesdropping, they didn't say. They said things like, do you think we shall be pursued tonight? No, Tom did, right? Tom is, in fact, Tom was really explicit, come to think of it, right? Tom is not master of, uh, of riders out of, the, out of the black land, right? Doesn't he actually allude to Mordor specifically? So yeah, no, Tom Bombadil did totally blow it if, if Strider had been actually eavesdropping. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I almost forgot about that, actually. That's interesting. But still, um, he reveals to them that he knows who's hunting them, and he is acting in such... The way his body language is designed to put them off their guard, right? I am not... Uh, the fact that I am telling you to beware of them... Uh, and acting nervous and like I'm now doubly worried about being eavesdropped on or overheard, um, so I'm going to lean closer to you to say this, uh, suggests that he is not in their employ, right? That he's that he's on their side. Riders from the Black Land. Yes, exactly. That is what he called them. That's what I thought I remembered. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, Tom Bombadil. Uh, uh, not very secretive either. Um... Yeah, Tony still thinks that Tom knows that Aragorn is there when he talks to the hobbits. Well, Tom had his vision of Aragorn, or they had their vision of Aragorn when he spoke of the rangers, when Tom Bombadil speaks of the rangers, right? The one that the one uh, that comes at the end of the line with the star on his brow. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Tony, we can't prove that Tom Bombadil knows that he's there. Uh, but I wonder. I wonder. Um, he might. Can't rule it out. Certainly can't rule it out. Okay. Um, I think, let's see. Where, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, let's stop there. Um this is a, as good a place as any to stop. I hate to interrupt the conversation in the middle here, but uh, it's getting late. We've been going now for, what, almost two hours, and we haven't even started the field trip yet. So we should we should move on and do the field trip now. We'll pick up here next time. As Strider has made now uh, suggested, you know, to, to Trissa to try to be in their confidence, right? But he's still not revealed anything about himself yet. So he's still playing a very delicate game uh, with... Uh, uh, with them, as far as uh, as far as he himself is concerned. All right, but we'll pause there. We'll resume that next week, and for now, we will continue our 
our field trip, our exploration of Breland in the game. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Thank you guys for joining us. I appreciate your contributions here tonight, and I will see you guys next week. Feel free to join us, twitch.tv slash signumu. Okay. And that's right. Good to see everybody stretching, getting ready here. Okay. So let's head out, and we will go... Uh, we'll meet out at the crossroads. Okay? So let's go meet out at the crossroads outside the West Gate. Good evening, everybody. All right. Hey, Valori. Great to... Glad you could be with us again this week. Oh, thanks. Missed you last week. <laughs> Am I coming in okay? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was... Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. All good now. Yeah. I'm more worried about the snow right now. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. But, okay, so I've totally listened to all the arguments we have for Strider's motivation, but I, the more we talk about it, the more I'm still absolutely convinced that part of this was just, you know, a little seed of this was just him getting back at them for giving a darn near heart attack. <laughs> Because, like, how would you be if you were trust? You know, if you were suddenly aware of the, the the dire situation that everything was in, and you were told to keep everything straight, and then he goes and puts it on in the middle of a common room while singing and dancing. Right, right. Like, wouldn't there just be a little bit of you going, "I just want to shake him up a bit"? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, wouldn't it be I, fun if I just kept the nasty jerk act on just for a minute? Right. And even thinking about that in, in sort of a more constructive way, right? I mean, like, being shaken up would clearly be good for Frodo, yeah. right? I mean, he needs to be alarmed. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's clearly not sufficiently alarmed, you know, yes, to this point. Yes, exactly. Yes, um, but the, the sarcasm and the laughing and the obvious signs of a sense of humor does indicate that he's having a little fun doing this. Yeah, and certainly, I, I, one of my favorite sort of introductions to Strider's character in this whole scene is how much he seems genuinely to enjoy Frodo's comeback. <laughs> right? Oh, it was it was the the, the battle of sarcasm. It was it was brilliant. And I love how Frodo's just dealing with him like he's some sort of troublesome tenant who's not paying his rent. <laughs> you know. We had an agreement for the farm lease, and you are not upholding your end. <laughs> Please explain this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely, yeah. I, I mean, I do think that um, uh, Frodo. Th- that is, that does seem to be the sort of like the the kind of being on his dignity does seem to be the line that Frodo is trying to take throughout to uh, this point. Yeah, and I think it's just as much an act with Frodo as it is with Strider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I think they're both. Kind of chafing under these little masks they're wearing right now. Well, yes, though the difference, of course, is that Strider knows who Frodo really is and he knows the real situation, right? That is like he knows, yeah, Strider he has knows, the upper hand. yeah, Strider knows when the four of them, because uh, Mary isn't there, when the four of them are like behind closed doors in this enclosed room. They're safe, right? As long as nobody's hanging out outside behind the door, right? Um, they and the ring are in a safe situation. And so he can, uh-huh. like, tease them and have fun, and it doesn't make... Whereas Frodo does not know, because he does not know what's really happening, right? He still doesn't have any idea that Strider is not some, you know, skanky vagabond. So um, <laughs> it's 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 a little... You're right that Frodo's wearing a mask, but I don't think he's having fun 
wearing his mask. I think no, it's just no, he's because he's, not he's really nervous and not sure what to do, right? But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. To do, this is my one of my favorite scenes in the whole yeah. trilogy. <laughs> so, I'm so excited we did that this week. So where are we going? Okay. So first, let's head south. We've explored down south, but there's one more thing I want to see. So we're kind of doing the periphery of Breland. So we're going to be riding a lot today. Today is going to be a, uh, we're going to spend all of our time on horseback. Um, and, uh, we'll, 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 we'll be conversing while riding long distances. Cause we're going to ride the length and breadth of Breland and a little bit more here tonight. Um, because we've done the main central part. We've looked at the, we've looked at the, the Breland villages, and how mm-hmm. those have been depicted and the kinds of relationships that are being suggested there. Um, we've looked at that. We were looking at the Chetwood last week, uh, Valori, when you were not here. And we were, um, uh-huh. so we were going to, uh, the, we are looking at the, the brigands there and the Angmarim influence and the sort of the way that they were, uh, that, uh, you know, the game is sort of extrapolating from, the the building presence of the brigands and their future invasion, but then also, um, the uh, the the way you know the the the, the plot lines that are being introduced uh, in the game yeah. um, from the with the Angmar influence and the Saruman stuff coming up from the south. Um, so it's kind of fun to and, see and the Black Rider being seen in the south. Yes, and the and the Black Rider too. So one thing, by the way, we notice I really love the Greenway here. Um, the greenway that how you can just barely like on the one hand, this is still a road and would still be a really good road. I mean, even just the remnants of how it was cleared and paved before this obviously would still be a good road to ride on. If you were, you know, if you were going to the South, um, mm-hmm. but yet you can almost look over, right? It's so overgrown that, uh, you know, like it still is a way, but it's clearly the greenway. So, Anyway, so here we come, going down the Greenway, we come across another major ruin. Now, we looked at a bunch of the different ruins before, and I like how from here you can just see Bree Town over there. Um, we know this was a really pivotal point, but from here, especially in the scale of the game, right? If we look up, there's the Barrow Downs up there to our left. Um, we're still, we're almost south of the Barrow Downs now. Right, so we've gone a fair distance. It doesn't take you very long to travel a fairly significant uh, piece of of uh, Middle Earth geography <laughs> with the scale of things in the game. So we're already almost south of the Barrow Downs. In other words, we're past the frontier now, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that made the the different Arnorian ruins up in Bree so um, you know, there, there to be such a proliferation of them is that that was where at least two of the kingdoms were meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we were talking about how what a, what an important place that must have been strategically, both Breetown and the area around it. Now we're sort of past that, but here we get this enormous structure, um, and this really, this is not a wall, this is not a gate, though clearly there must have been a gate here. Before we yeah. have all these, just, you know, these wooden palisades. Like so many of the other ruins, it's been taken over by brigands, um, who, as we know, the brigands are proliferating and, and they're, uh, um, they're uh, getting ready. You know, they're going to mass and they're going to try to attack Bree later on. Um, 
But they, uh, and of course, so, you know, when you have brigands, as we were looking at last time in the Chetwood, of course they're going to take up residence at these old abandoned ruinous fortresses. It's a very natural place for them to, to, to be. So that's not surprising. The interesting thing is seeing about, like, what was this? This is not just, so it's called the South Guard Ruins, right? That's what it's uh-huh. called in the game. Um, who's South Guard, I wonder? Is it called that by the Brelanders in the sense that this is the the southern edge of the Breland and beyond here is the wild wilderness that they don't really go to and which sometimes strange people travel, you know, wander up from? So is that is it called Southguard again, sort of from a Bree perspective? Or is that a relic? You know, is this was this the south of something? When it was built, well, you, you can you can tell the greenway is supposed to go on passes, so this is obviously some sort of checkpoint. Yes, or uh, you know, guard and, and probably a military uh, barricade against invaders. Presumably, so that would have made this from the people of Cardolan, then, because this was yeah. the, this was the this was the strong point of the of the men of Cardolan, and there wasn't much south of here. Even in, even in Arnorian days, there wasn't too much south of here. Um, no. So, um, so presumably, so this would have been something like a border fort, right? To yeah, guard, sort of... yeah. And and checkpoint, obviously. Right. Was this built in the time of old Arnor? That is back in the United Kingdom, or was this from Cardolan? I don't see anything that betrays any sort of Cardolan specific. Uh, no, just your general here? star motif. Yeah, your sort of standard Arnorian thing, star, scepter, um, that bramble motif along the top that I still don't understand. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, so um, so yeah, this is... Um, but the, again, this is this is really huge. So, you know, you got to think that this is a gar- this would have been a garrison really to protect this from the south, which, you know, one of the things that this makes me think of, of course, are Strider's comments later on in the Council of Elrond about how, she, how like, Bree has been sheltered and protected. Um, one of the things that this leads me to believe is that the Brelanders, who have been there, um, you know, since before, not only since before the Kingdom of Arnor was established, but since before the uh, the Numenorians passed through and went, you know, like, the, the proto- Numenorians passed through and went into Beleriand, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so anyway, my suspicion here is that this shows that they, the Arnorians, were still protecting Bree. Like back in those days, Bree was already sheltered, right? Yeah. This fortress was designed to prevent anyone because there were presumably dangers down to the south. You know, like the you know we see down in Enidwyth and stuff, right? We've got the we've got the 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 Dunlending tribes down there who are sometimes hostile, and um, you know you, you never know. But here we have you know, so in case anyone does come up from the south, from those still relatively unknown and fairly wild lands uh, between here and the Gap of Rohan, um, lest anyone come up here and and threaten Bree, that couldn't have happened back in the old days um, of Arnor because they were being protected from the south. So I like to think that this was built during during that part. It might have been built 
by Cardowan. But see, I tend not to think so, because by the time we get to the divided kingdom, their primary concern was each other, right? Yeah. So I got to think that you know the people who were spending time building military fortifications for the kingdom of Cardowan would have been building them to the north, right? They wouldn't have been quite so worried about people coming up the greenway from the south. True. This this doesn't mean that this could not have been uh, just a place to keep and house a military, even if you weren't using it at the place, though. Yeah. No, exactly. This, this is bigger than most of our usual ruins. This really does look like it was big enough to house... You oh, know, definitely. No, I, exactly. I, I think it was. So, no, Brick Tales, exactly. Back in the day, the road was the major connection between Gondor and Arnor. Um, so the reason that they would need a major fortress like this on the road um, was to keep it safe. Right? I mean, roads... The road is just sitting there, right? I mean, and it's the yeah. only really good road through the entire region. I mean, there are no roads like that through uh, anywhere through Dunland or Enidwife. Um, mm-hmm. And so, therefore, any hostile army that wanted to, like, decided it wanted to expand and invade the north would use this road to come up because it's obviously the best way to come, right? So, yes. if you're Arnor, pre cardolin Arnor, then you would want to build a fortress here because although this is the highway to Gondor, they don't really fully control the lands in between. No. Um, so you would want to put some protection in here, I think. Um, so, uh, so yeah, anyway, so that's, that would be my explanation of it. But I, I do agree, certainly, as you say, Valori, that it would be, it would certainly have been occupied and used by the people of Cardolan later on. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I would tend to think that it wasn't, um, that it wasn't. No, that makes coined, sense as sort of a gateway to the, the gateway to the the west over here sort of their own sort of gateway <laughs> right back in the back in the old arnor days this could even have been something like the southern boundary of of arnor of like the influence of arnor um mm-hmm. because although the the road went in between they didn't claim all of the land right i mean Enidwife and dunland was never was never they never claimed that to be under the scepter of 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 uh, of arnor um but down here i suspect they i suspect they would have done yes um, so this may well be their southern boundary, but uh, it's but, also know, useful. From I'm sorry. It, no, go it, ahead. Go ahead. It's also it's also useful for for other reasons too. This would be the place where you tax incoming goods. This would be the place oh, sure. where you check yeah. the oh. of passages oh, and make sure that there was a proper welcome things. for anyone important. Definitely, yeah. Customs officers, sure, yeah. Lots of reasons you could use this. Um, but here, going back up, you know, my fit. What's my favorite part of this ruin? Oh no! Wait, we're not here. We got to go out to the other way, because yeah, this is just a huge complex. I mean, this is almost the size of a city. Yeah. Well, and this might well have been. There might have been. This might have been like an open market out here. Yeah. If you have everyone exactly. bringing their goods up. Yeah. Yeah, you could easily see that. Here's my favorite part. <laughs> Where? That banner. See the blue banner. That's the banner oh, yeah. of Staddle. Oh, wow. So somebody from Staddle came down here and is like, I claim these ruins in the name of Staddle. I love that. I don't even I have no idea. It's the only banner we see, right? The brigands don't have any banners at all. They don't fly anything. No, don't even it's not yours. A, you don't have a flag. Okay, exactly, right. But somebody at some point came down here and put up the blue banner so you've got the hill and the th- like the, the three part tree it's exactly the banner we saw in the center of Staddle 
and they put it up here and they're like you gotta think it's one of the hobbits going well now it's official (laughs) exactly yeah yeah i do like to think that a hobbit posted that you know some grand adventure that some staddle hobbit went and to to come all the way down here climb up on the ruins and uh and and like the folks back home home. yeah probably (laughs) won't believe that he actually did it right um all kinds of cute stories one can think of to explain <laughs> that really bizarrely isolated banner there. But anyway, let's keep moving. We've got a long ride ahead of us now because I want to go all and the way know, north the brigand- along the Greenway. The brigands are just like, Psh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> better, better tighten security over there. And of course they don't because that's where the spy, where so our contact is up there. Yeah. So yeah. You know, it's like, you know, the flag is there in clear defiance of them. They haven't even gone to investigate it yet <laughs> exactly. or post yeah. another guide. Yeah, the, the brigands clearly don't care. Right. Yes. They, they, they clearly don't care. Um, yeah. JJ says anything from climbing trees to hanging banners. Yeah, that's exactly. That's exactly it. Oh, do so you JJ, want, are you, you gotta wonder. That Gandalf provoked uh, the person from Staddle. You know, Gandalf was wandering through Staddle and <laughs> dared one of the hobbits to hang a banner on the ruins in the South Guard. Well, it makes you wonder if like Archit and um, and 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 Coom. Like maybe there, maybe that's the place where you know the, it's a, every other every couple of months one of the other counties claims it for their own or something like that. <laughs> right, right. It's Staddle's flag now because they took down the one Coom put up there two weeks ago. That's <laughs> <laughs> hard to imagine them being genuinely territorial about this. You know, be like these ruins it, are it now. More like, <laughs> they belong. It to sounds Coom. more like the. The, the high school prank before the big game kind of thing. Right, exactly. Instead of kidnapping the mascot, we're going to swap out the flag on the watchtower. Right. Sorry, just looking at Bree as I'm riding past here. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are now heading north of Bree. So I'm going to go straight and then get my map back out. So, okay. So, in previous times, we have, of course, we explored the Old Forest, and we explored the Barrow Downs. And after the Barrow Downs, we went up and looked up here in the Brandy Hills in the southern Bree Fields. Remember, we found the giant and killed him like 80 times while we were talking and um, yes. uh, and all kinds of things. Am I going to hit the river? No, I'm not. I'm okay. Um, uh, and then, of course, we've explored all the way through the different villages and the Chetwood, not the far Chetwood, but Chetwood North primarily. We went down to Chetwood South a little bit. Sorry, you guys are following me as I'm like reeling drunkenly through the trees because I'm looking at the map while I'm while I'm galloping here. Um, but anyway, um, so the part of Breelin, I will now stop and look at my map. The part of Breelin that we haven't seen before, we've got, of course, the Midgewater Marshes and the Weather Hills, and I'm saving that for when we get to the Midgewater Marshes in the story. So we won't get Obviously. to the Midgewater Marshes still for several weeks. Uh, <laughs> because we have to get through chapter 10 here first. But, um, so the part of Bree that we still have left, now we didn't really go too far, too deep into Chetwood South down here, and there is something down there, but it's something we've already seen. It's basically another big Arnorian ruin with a bunch of brigands with their HQ down there. So it's kind of like Chet, you know, Chet, Chetwood South, kind of like Chetwood North in that way. Um, but uh, anyway, so the part of Bree now, so I wanted to see Southgard, and now I want to come up and look in the North Bree fields, the Northern and Eastern Bree fields, uh, to sort of see how they're imagining, because this is a this is a part of Bree, uh, sort of the whole Bree experience, which is a completely different. Uh, this is a 
a blank slate, right? We're told, you know, we've got the affairs of the of the of the four villages, right, which take up which occupy everybody's focus. Like they are all alone in a wilderness, right? So what do you do in the wilderness? What do we see around that? How do they build this out? Um, here we have watchers, right? This is Chief Watcher Grimbriar. Um, so we have like those constables in the towns and we have these guards, but now we have watchers who seem to watch the roads. So these guys seem to have a different kind of remit, right? Um, mm-hmm. To be watching the, the, the territory around the constables are in the town. And we remember how enormous, how capacious the prison in Bree is suggesting that the yeah. constables are fairly busy for some reason. Um, uh, the, the, the capaciousness of the prison being the thing which seems to me most discordant about Bree. Um, it's the thing that seems to me to make the least amount of sense. But anyway, so here we've got these watchers on this, with this little, little watch house here. So we're outside of Bree. So there is this sort of native Bree kind of law enforcement branch uh, which is designed to look around at the countryside. And they're concerned about the uh, the brigands, right? Yeah, which sort of the most Bree of the people inside Bree, yeah. yeah, exactly. Most people inside Bree don't even know that they're there yet, right? I mean, they're 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 ignorant of the growth of the brigands in the countryside, uh, but these watchers they're getting concerned. Um, so, uh, oh, interesting. JJ says, do the do the watchers and constables cor- uh, you know sort of correlate to the bounders and sheriffs in the Shire? Well, say like, yeah. I, I would say yes, though the constables seem to be more um, like the Shire doesn't have any prisons, much less enormous uh, uh, and uh, roomy ones. Um, there was one in, in um, uh, Brock and Borings. In Brock and Borings, they have a, there was they had like one cell. Oh right, that you know, that one little that. like yes, okay, that I remember that. Yes, I remember that. Of course, Presumably, in, that's for the entire Shire. So right, exactly. Exactly, but yeah, no. You only have one bad person, <laughs> right? But JJ, I I agree with you. the 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 different terminology is 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 interesting. Um, first of all, notice that with the the bounders and the watchers, right? If they pretty much um, you know uh, sort of correlate to each other, uh, somebody's being set upon by a boar. Um, if uh, if they pretty much correlate with each other, you can see the difference in philosophy, right? The bounders. Their, their job is to beat the bounds, right? To go around the edges of the Shire and make sure that nobody comes in. That is to say, the Shire is conceived of as an enclosed area, right? The edges of which you're supposed to patrol. Bree is just, like, itself looking outward into the vague wilderness, right? The Watchers don't have a territory that they... Because Bree doesn't, like, claim a territory. They just yeah. have a town, um, so they're just here right outside the town, right? I mean, you can see the town is right there, right? This is right outside. That's the north gate that we're looking yeah. at there. Um, so right outside the north gate, uh, you have this house of the of the watcher. So they're just like watching the road and the wilderness around. So it's like the one central point just looking outward versus the uh, the 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 set territory, the boundaries of which you, you patrol, right? Um, yeah, it's 
kind of the one concession to the fact that maybe just, you know, Harry Goatleaf asking questions at the door might not be enough to stop anything real. Right, exactly. They are aware that they're that they should pay attention to what's going on outside of their towns. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But again, they're not necessarily claiming it. But of course, the first thing that we see when we actually ride, as I was saying, we were going to ride um, to the north is a farm. Right. And this seems to me very plausible. Right. That we would get isolated farms like this. You know, you're going to get people who don't just stay in the in the town. Right. You're going to get people who decide to go out and live in the frontier and establish their own farms. And these farms are fairly large. Um, I, I like the fact that we have a construction site here. Like we have actually Brie expansion going on there um, from yeah. that one off there up up to the side. Um, I want to take a little side trip over here because I find this really interesting, especially because I don't know what to make of it. Is it down here? Yeah, is that's where the boars are. Right? Oh, this is where the boars are. No, I don't want the boars. I want the yeah. Graveyard. Okay. Yeah, if- uh-huh. Abandoned ship. That's over here, right? Yeah, that's over here. Sorry. Okay. Uh, there's yeah. little roads over here. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is the one here. Yeah, yeah. The abandoned graveyard. I always found this really tantalizing. And if I remember correctly, I don't recall even one single quest. No, there isn't one. That took us here. I found this thing and I'm like, ooh, I can't wait for the quest line about the abandoned graveyard. And it never happened. Um, And then this mourner is here. Like, all these graves look really old, including the one at which she's grieving. And it's like, is she grieving for her ancestors? Like, she seems to be taking the family devotion really seriously. But she explains. Honestly, why don't I wait for her text? What does she say? Hang on, do I have it? Do I have it in my thing? She said, "No." I think didn't. you can click on her, and she'll say it again. Why? If I click, she'll say it. Yeah, I think so. There we go. Old cow would often meet with the strange wandering people. Folk around here called them rangers. Okay, so old cow is whom she's weeping for, and he used to hang out with rangers. Tell us more. I'll miss my old friend cow. He insisted on being buried in the old graveyard. He said it was the way of his people. Cal's okay, wisdom and advice will be sorely missed yeah. by many a people in Breeland. Huh. It, it does indicate these graves are from a different culture and tradition than modern yeah, Bree. exactly. So this was a Dunedain graveyard? Could be. I'm presuming. Because they're only, they're only of, the, of the three speeches that the mourner makes when you click on her. Um, oh, wait. He was a man grown and friends with my father when I was a girl. I know not how old he was when he finally passed. Oh, so that's just to tell us that, like, he wasn't your sweetheart or something, right? Not to get the wrong idea. Well, we, we figured if it was this old a graveyard, yes. Yeah. Okay, but, right. So we know that he he says that the, it was the way of his people to be buried here. And you're right. The fact that she says it that way suggests that she is not his people, right? Um, but also... We also know that he used to meet with the rangers, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that really interests me, this these gravestones, some of them are rounded at the top, like sort of normal gravestones, and then others have these pointy tops. It's almost like an eagle with two wings or something, or yeah, I can't really I'm, make head I'm or tail to out of it. I'm trying to figure 
Well, I mean, it's obviously, you know, sort of eroded. Yeah, I can see, you can see different states of erosion for them, too. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm trying to Ooh, figure... Oh, there's a little, little obelisk over here. Yeah, we don't get many clues apart from this mourner who is just here to give us information, apparently. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> well, it's there's nice the of her to do so. Yeah. Ooh, it almost looks like there are runes carved in it, but you can't make them out. Yeah. Mm. This anyway. grave looks the most intact. It looks like there's a square surrounded by some kind of frame, and yeah, it looks like wings almost looks like wings and a helmet of some yeah, kind yeah i was seeing that too um yeah. maybe it's supposed to be the winged helmet of gondor or something like that or towers of some kind yeah can't really tell it's very vague it's hard to say but um freaking though but anyway yeah it's pretty cool so i find this all very mysterious um I suspect that Cal was a ranger or connected with the rangers or maybe even related to the rangers. Yeah, um, like a son of one who settled down or something. Exactly, something like that. Um, you know, maybe one of the Dunedain took a took a uh, a Brewen spouse, right? And 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 old Cal, you know, was their son or something. Um, or maybe he was just too old to travel and stayed in Bree. Right. Right, exactly. That he sort of retired in Bree, right, and and became a friend, and so was accepted as a friend. But the fact that like this is the way of his people, and the only people that we know he's connected to are the Rangers, implies to me that this was a Dunedain graveyard. Um, it's interesting because the wall is not at all Arnorian, right? There's no, no hint of there's there's not a singular star with any number of points whatsoever anywhere no, it's very around humble. this graveyard yeah um so if it is a dunedain graveyard it would be a dunedain graveyard like a recent dunedain graveyard now it's still ancient it can still be quite old right um i mean the town that i live in here in new hampshire has a, a graveyard from the 18th century um i mean you can still see tombstones from people you know who died in the late eight, in, in the late 18th century um uh you know who were like part of the original settlers when the, our town was incorporated in i think 1765 um yeah we got a lot of those in virginia <laughs> yeah exactly and you know so point is it only takes a couple hundred years for a graveyard to to look like this right um and arnor is now uh a a a long time ago right um uh-huh. so i wonder if what we're supposed to conclude from this um, is that this is a graveyard of Dunedain after the fall of the Three Kingdoms, like during the during the chieftain time, like after Arvedui. Um, mm-hmm. So sometime in the last like eight generations or so from Aragorn, um, when they're not building huge monuments and and they're not marking their their you know they they they're not like saying. The Dunedain were here, you know, in all of their 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 stonework and stuff, um, or just being mistaken for vagabonds, <laughs> right? Exactly, and yet this is where all of those vagabond rangers 
disrespected by the people of Bree were buried, you know, all those who lived mm-hmm. in this area and helped to guard Bree uh, during Wait, that which, time. It begs the house. Who's begs the question? Whose who's, house is that? Whose house Did he build the wall? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and it's 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 a very unprepossessing Breland house with the regular gray Breland stone, and yeah, I don't I don't see anything to indicate. Yeah, it's just a very standard Breland cottage. But of course, to see another perfectly standard Breland cottage, it looks like a maybe it was a retired Dunedain who just became the caretaker, right? Because you know the grass right. is nicely mown. Yeah. Out of repair. Yeah, you can definitely you can definitely imagine that. Um and uh up the up the hill. We're not far from of course the cottage of a living Dunedine. Yep. Yeah, Saradin. Um who of all of the rangers that we meet in this portion of the game is the one who has stopped ranging, right? Mm-hmm. So we have precedent of them going like, you know, I'm too old for this. I'm just going right. to get a house and sit here. Going semi-native. Yeah. Yeah. Here he is. Um, he's got a little cabin, which looks like a very standard Breland cabin with Breland stone and everything else. Right. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, it's very like the, like that caretaker's house that we saw next to the next to the graveyard there. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, it does seem entirely possible. I don't I've never seen anything around Sirenon's cabin or noticed anything around Sirenon's cabin that betrays who he is or that there's anything different or special about him. Um, Makes you wonder if the Brelanders think he's one of them rangers, too, or if he's just, oh, old Saradan who lives by the Greenway. <laughs> right, yeah, if they even associate him with the rangers, yeah. And, you know, as you see, he's not far, just down across the Greenway there is this other farm who doubtless know him, though his cabin is concealed up here in the trees, right? So he's definitely out of the way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you got to think that he's probably known by the people who live around here. Old Ben um, Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, old Ben Kenobi, exactly. All right, well, let's keep going. I'm. It's getting late, but there's only, even though we still have a fair bit of distance to cover, there are only a couple things that I want to, there are only really two, two things I want to see, so there's not really enough to save for another week. So let's just, let's just gallop. <laughs> um, Okay. So we get some more ruins up here. <laughs> I'm not going to stop and I'm going to stop and look at these, but these are pretty much ye old Arnorian ruins. Pretty um, much. Which don't look like the graveyard or anything about the graveyard. It does make you wonder why they weren't plundered for their stone in the building of all these new farms and constructions. It would have been darn useful. Yeah. Yeah, well some of them probably were, but um but anyway, yeah, no, I agree. So it's, it's, it is, I'm thinking these must have been Arthedanian ruins, right? Because mm-hmm. we're far enough north now that we're definitely in the Arthedane range. Yep. Uh, and now we get the first thing I wanted to see, which is an orc camp. 
Oh, boy. And this is not just... So, you know, you kind of come up here along the road and you see this, hey, look off to the side of the road. Isn't that Oryx standing around? Um, yes, this is Oryx standing around. But it's not just with a few really random pillars sticking out of the ground, serving no obvious function. But, of course, the more you go on, you're like, oh, no, they've got this whole palisade over here. <laughs> In fact, no, they've got this whole valley this Boxed is a, in, yeah. Yeah, this is a huge encampment that's been deliberately fortified. It's interesting that they fortified the low ground instead of the high ground, but, you know, whatever. Orcs not necessarily the greatest of tacticians, but... Um, or architects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, but this is a, ve- this is a very extensive fortification. Um, one of the things, of course, that this makes me think of is that line from Aragorn in the Council of Elrond, right? How... Uh, uh, you know, Strider he is to a, um, uh, you know, to a to a fat innkeeper in Bree. Um, you know, who lives? How long does he say a day's ride from foes that would freeze his heart? Yeah. You know, and here we have this whole orc tribe, which has, uh, uh, you know, begun its incursion here into the northern Bree lands, um, not too far away from you know, and there's, there are farms just down there. Um, we get the sense here of stuff that the um, stuff that the rangers have been protecting them from, you know, uh-huh. um, of of what some more random orcs over here. Um, yep. The things that, and and of course, when uh, you know, when we will recall Butterbur in the Return of the King saying that, you know, he doesn't think that they rightly understood what the Rangers did for them, right? When yeah. when he begins to get a glimpse when all the Rangers vanish, and as soon as the Rangers vanish, creepy things start coming out. Um, yeah, that, everything comes out of the woodwork. <laughs> exactly, and so he begins to he 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 begins to understand when they're gone that they were actually protecting them the whole time. Um, Again, we, we can see them setting up for that too. So just as uh, just as the um, the all, all the brigands out in the Chetwood and stuff and their secret strongholds out in ruins in the forests um, are setting the stage for what we know is going to come later, uh, namely you know the invasion in force of Bree by the brigands. So too we can see the encroachment of 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 wild and evil things uh, from the northern wilds here. Um, which are uh, uh, which are going to threaten Bree as soon as they lose the benefit of the Rangers. So we just passed by the horse farm, which is of course a very famous spot in the game because it's where you have to go if you want to be able to ride a horse. Um, this is we came up here when we went to Trestle Bridge. We're just south of the river there. So remember, we were looking at the river down in the gorge, which leads over to that super impressive bridge, um, which is clearly a work of old. Um, and this is all wild. So now we've gotten away away from the uh, from the Greenway, right? And now we're genuinely in the middle of nowhere. This is just wilderness. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing really up here. Um, boulders and trees and wild animals and some orcs and stuff. Um, so they are suggesting... So we've got the, those Breland farms, 
but they're around the Greenway, which is interesting, right? So even in Bree, they're still using the Greenway. They still so like the, the Greenway is still sort of the link to civilization, right? Uh, that 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 people use. You leave the Greenway around up here, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Except, wait, look, a ruin. And this is the last <laughs> point that I wanted to go to because there are some ruins up here and these are cool. So now the old ruins were infested with brigands over in the Chantwood that we looked at before. This one is invested with orcs. As we can see, we got some orcish totems and some orcs wandering around here, but there is something really interesting about these ruins. Hmm. So we get banners which are fun, right? These are orc banners, which is the kind of thing I would have expected to see at Southgard. Um, I'm thinking that the, the orc banners are probably, they probably made the blood spatters with real blood, presumably. Um, yeah. And we got they the... Probably, uh, you see that's brown at the bottom. They have to keep re- redoing the blood stains. Redoing the blood stains. Yeah, all right, you got to refresh the, the blood stains. Um, but... Um, Anyway, yeah, so, and we've got their symbol, which is kind of cool, a really interesting sort of composite of the Eye of Sauron and the Iron Crown of Angmar, right? So that's, that's kind of that's interesting. But that's not the interesting yeah. thing about these ruins. Um, so, Boomful, you're right. These are not Yellowstone, right? These ruins no. are not Yellowstone. Um, uh, the stonework is different. It does not look as dark gray as the normal Breland stone, like their houses and things, but it also definitely is a different color from the, the standard Arnorian ruins that we were looking at. But look, look at what else you see. Or more importantly, look what else you don't see. No crowns, no seven-pointed stars. Nothing. No Arnorian signs at all anywhere these weird- in these ruins. Corinthian-looking plinths over here. Uh, where you mean by the, the gate? gateway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the gateway, they got these little. Yeah, they got the sort of Corinthian-looking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we got vaulting on the keystone. All these fun different things here. Yeah, but they don't look. There is nothing about these ruins, and also they're thinner. The walls. Yeah, they're. they're Arnorian walls are like of, twice this thick. Yeah. Um, what was this place? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. See, so like my first thought when I when riding around here, my first thought is okay, maybe this is going to be like Enuminous, right? Maybe it's going to be like over in Evendim. Maybe this is going to be like a, a pleasure hall, right? So we've gotten away from the, you know, we're not on the borders anymore. Back in the old days, back in the old Ar- days of the United Arnorian Kingdom, this would have been a frontier, but it would have been like charming wilderness frontier, right? And scenic. I mean, look at this. This overlooks this really scenic gorge that I don't want to fall into. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's lovely, the river down in the, down in the valley, and you can see really far. Look at the waterfalls over there. So scenic. You got the lake. Right and the charming oh, yeah. islands and the hills behind and the the really majestic waterfall. I mean, this would have been a beauty spot. Not to mention but, the gorgeous fields and rolling hills and. But wouldn't they have bigger windows? What we got over here? These little archer holes. I agree. So this these are so when I first saw the when I was first here and looking at these ruins from a distance, that's how I pegged this. I'm like, okay, 
So just like in in throughout Evendim, we get these like what look like the remnants of of summer houses, right? Like on on vantage points overlooking the lake and all that kind of thing. Um, but um, that doesn't seem to be what we have because this yeah. looks like a defensive fortification. It does. Ha- I mean, these are fairly thick to be this close to the ground, but it also looks rough. It looks like they've been broken out since then. They look like they were probably something closer to arrow slits than they were to yeah. windows. Um, but uh, and who'd attack from that side? I don't know because that's where the cliff is, but you could, I mean, you could walk around to there anyway. So I don't know, but I mean, this, this does definitely look like it was a, it was a, a castle, not a palace. But anyway, who built it? If it had been built by an Arnorian noble who was like, I'd really, you know, who came here and is like, I would really like to build a summer home here. Um, you know, even then I could understand it, even if he wanted it to be a little bit more castle because even back in the old Arnorian days, this still would have been the sticks. I mean, this still would have been the frontier. So maybe yes. the person who wanted to build a summer home here was a little bit paranoid and said, I want to make a highly defensible summer home because, um, you know, you never know, like, you know, the the barbarians might come over the boundaries at any time. Um, there were still wild hillmen and stuff even before they were allied with Angmar and Rudaur. So fine, but there's no evidence that that's the case. There's no evidence that this was ever an Arnorian summer home because the Arnorians tended to put their stars and stuff up on their walls. We saw this. We saw this in Evendim. We've seen this in Bree. Yeah. This doesn't look like any of the other ruins in Bree. It also, doesn't it look like it sunk a bit into the ground? We got the we got the arch that seems to be sort of sunk into the ground, the arrow holes that are like well, over possibly. here. Well, possibly. Yeah. See, well, and because here's the other thing. If it's not Arnorian, it's almost got to be older, right? Yeah. Because it can't be newer. This isn't going to be... I mean, I guess it's conceivable that some, what, some Breland wealthy person decided, like, I'm going to move up way outside everywhere and I'm going to build a castle up there and call myself the king of nowhere. Like, it's possible that that could have happened, but... (laughs) That seems really uncharacteristic for Bree, right? So, therefore, I got to think that this predates Arnor. And that there might be more to this town that's sort of sitting under the, the hills here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking at the at the map and sort of the overall situation here, so we do have that big lake, right, which is the lake that we're seeing with the waterfall coming down. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what the excuse would be to build a city here. Um, the water t- source is way too far away. Yeah, because, I mean, that river is scenic, but not practical. Yeah, you um, couldn't drop a bucket down in there. <laughs> yeah, no, it would take a very long rope and good aim. Um, you need a well or a cistern or something. <gasps> exactly, and up on a cliff like this, a well, I would imagine, would have to be pretty deep. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. Um this doesn't seem like to me a, a very practical place to build it to build <clears throat> to build a city, but but it's really tantalizing, and I just I I really like that, you know. I, yeah. I, this seems to me to be totally unexplained, 
and more or less inexplicable from everything we know about the history of Middle-earth. But I think it's awesome that they've included stuff like that in the game. Because, of course, that's very Tolkien, right? Tolkien does that kind of thing all the time. You know, puts things in the story which sort of point vaguely at something on the historical horizon, but not really explaining it and not giving us the backstory. Oh, yeah, um, just those little one-lines or something. Yeah, like exactly, exactly. Um, you know, sometimes, of course, the characters will comment on it, like Mary and the Pookle Men, right, uh, for uh-huh. instance. Uh, will draw attention to the fact that we don't know anything about them or, you know, why they did what they did or what the purpose was. But sometimes he won't draw that kind of attention to it, but it'll still exist. And this really, this ruin really strikes me as a Lotro version of that same kind of move of pointing to vistas that... um go beyond even what we know of the history. So like I said, I love the way that looking at the ruins and stuff as we've been doing up in, you know, out in Evendim, up in the North Downs and down here in Breland, um, you know, we can, we can see how they are doing some filling in of the history, right? And showing, uh, uh, answering questions like what would the military history of Bree have been in the, in the Arnorian civil wars and stuff. Um, you know, so we do get those kinds of questions, um, some answers kind of gestured at for those. And but it's a I, fantastic way to fill in all those blank spots. The, yeah. The, the here there be monster spots. Exactly. But I love the fact that we have this kind of thing too, that we're also pointing to that. They're just mysteries, you know, and, and we don't <laughs> really have any idea. I think that's super cool. Um, oh. Anyway. So, um, now that I brought all you guys up here into the absolute middle of nowhere, uh, we're gonna and I'm gonna leave you guys here. Uh, thanks for following me off into the frontiers here. Um, I'm gonna let you guys go. I'm kept you super late tonight, but in 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 this we have now explored almost all. We have not gone to the far Chetwood, of course, but there's not much in the far Chetwood. It's the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, so we've we've explored pretty much all of Breland here on the map, other than the Midwa- Midgewater Marsh and the Weather Hills, which means that I want to resume our. So if we if we pan out a little bit here from our map, um, we've explored the Shire, we've explored Breland, we've explored even Dim, we've explored Forakel. Um, we've been around some of Arid Lewin, but I'm going to save that. I'm going to go back to Arid Lewin. We've explored all of the North Downs. Um, so what comes next? So there's the Lone Lands, but I want to save the Lone Lands because we're going to travel through the Lone Lands in the story. So I'm going to wait till mm-hmm. Strider and the Hobbits get to the Lone Lands before we go out there, which means what is left is Angmar. I want to go up to Angmar. We got out right up to the boundary of Angmar, remember, at the North Downs? And then we turned back and went down to Bree because that's where we got in the story. Um, so I want to resume that. I want to head back up to Angmar. And then once we finish Angmar, we can, you know, the story will continue through the Lone Lance and the Trollshaws. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get a chance to explore those. And then we can also make some trips down into, you know, like Enidwife and Dunland and stuff like that. But uh, in the meantime, um, we're going to head up to Angmar awesome. next. Um, for those it's, of you. It's level. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, no it's, yeah, it's level what? It was it f- level 40 to 50. 40 to 50. Sort of okay, yeah. Ish. And um we can ex- we can all enter the first part of Angmar, but uh once we start getting up to the the northeast and and Karndoom in that area, there are um there are quest specific 
unlocks that are needed to access those areas. Yes. Um, so if uh, anyone wants to join us on most of the Angmar field trips, it's uh, well suggested that you start taking um, those. Let me let me see. What do they start with? I think it was uh, book six. Yes, book six, which starts yeah, off. Book six um, is the yeah, prompt in, the, You get a prompt in Rivendell that sends you to Esteldeen, and you start going up from there, and that'll get you uh, access to most of uh, Angmar. Yeah. So highly recommended on all servers that were that you wish to participate in. Yes, because we are going to need to get up into Angmar there. So uh, Narnia is going to have to do his uh, his epic quest line homework there as well. Do your homework. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so fair warning on that. We will be in the eastern side of Angmar at first, so we have several weeks of exploration before we have to cross the line uh, that you can't cross if you haven't gotten through the epic quests there. Um, but um, but anyway, we will we will we will get there. Um, so fair warning on that. So thanks everybody for joining me for class and field trip tonight. And I look forward to, uh, seeing you guys again next week. We'll do more Strider conversation and we'll head up into Angmar. All right. Thanks everybody. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of the Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.